0: Hello everyone and welcome back for our final meta station of the season. <laughs> for episode 413 Prime Fire. Um we are so 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 excited to talk about this episode cuz we loved it. We just loved it almost everything about it with a couple of sort of minor exceptions. Well, I loved everything about it. I'm I'm there's a couple of omissions that that we'll talk about being somewhat troubling, but everything in it I thought was Fire. Prime fire, even. <laughs> it's a terrible joke. This is not voting well. I'm Erin. I'm an English professor in Mississippi.
1: I'm Claire. I'm a writer in Portland, Oregon. And here we go. Here we go. Woo! <laughs> So last week, um, Erin was not here. She was, um, she's family in town because it was her birthday, which you will know if you listen to the hilarious outtake where we were saying to her very, very badly.
0: It was wonderful. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but so it actually turned out to be sort of accidentally kind of prescient that our 412 podcast was exclusively really about the adults because that ended up being sort of in a way their finale what we haven't done is cover well anything that happened in 412 at all from Aaron's perspective and we also never talked about the kind of rocket space science island half of the 412 storyline so we're gonna kind of cover both of them together I think starting with I guess some, some big picture thoughts about how 412 and 413 play together as a two-part finale, and then some thoughts on the bunker half of the world before we go over and get into the whole Raven Reyes
0: space race.
1: <laughs> We're very, very excited. We have a lot to scream about. I, I'm almost certain this podcast will end up having to go up in two parts because we have so many thoughts.
0: Yes. And there will be much B'lark flailing.
1: There will be so much <laughs> B'lark flailing. Everyone brace yourselves. <laughs> well, maybe a good place to start is what you and I were talking about before we hit record, which is like, let's talk about how these two halves connect as, like if you, if you reframe it and think about these two episodes like a two-part finale, how did they sort of overall kind of tonally and macro sort of fit together? Like I know you had some, you had some thoughts on that you'd like to share with the class.
0: <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I don't really have any formed thoughts, which is why I wanted to talk about it with you. Um, so I do all my best thinking when I'm talking to Claire.
1: Uh, me too. Talking to you, I mean, not talking to myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, either one's legit. Uh, by Claire. the way, guys, I'm probably, yeah, I'm probably gonna get like a little bit like sappy during this because I always get sappy about like last things, and so I'm, I'm gonna be, like, I know, a little emotional about if this is the end.
1: I actually I was like not. it like it hit me last night where I was like I was r- riding this roller coaster post finale emotions because it was such a like goddamn thrill ride. And then at a certain point, I think like one o'clock in the morning, I realized like, like wait a minute, wait a minute, but it's over now and I got like really <laughs> emotional <Aww. laughs> It's like, oh, there's story. no more new season four. I'm such a child. Anyway, continue. I
0: know. Well, but then also, but also, like, this is the first full season of the show that we've done on Metastation, and so yeah. I'm so yeah, like yeah, super, yeah. emotional about that, and will probably come out in weird ways. So I apologize in advance <laughs> if I get really, like, like, emotional about something super random. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> uh back to the serious thing. So I yeah, I just was I was really struck by when I was thinking about it cuz I watched I rewatched 412 yesterday before the finale. And then I rewatched them both back to back today and I was really struck by the stark difference in tone between the two episodes. And especially if you're thinking about four twelve as kind of like the finale for the Bunker slash Adults storyline. And really for Octavia's as well. I mean, we kind of got like a little button with Octavia this week, but it wasn't, there wasn't anything new. I think it was really just kind of like a last little period to put on it for her. Um, versus this last night's finale, which was really like the finale for for the space crew, for that group. And 412 was like, is such a dark, especially the Bunker uh, uh, storyline is such a dark and in a lot of ways, pretty bleak storyline. You know, I mean, just in, in tone, I mean, in what happens, period, but also just in in tone, in the way that it's presented. And although this week's finale was like super tense and action packed, and like, I was definitely... You know, like, even though I didn't actually think that anybody in that uh, storyline was was really going to die, I mean, I was just like, adrenaline was pumping and all that kind of stuff. It was really very, very hopeful. In tone, it was very, yeah. very, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, remarkably uh, almost upbeat for <laughs> for this show. And yeah. you know, it was really just kind of all about, you know, hope for survival. Every time things took a dark turn, you know, every time someone started to doubt, you know, there was Bellamy with, uh, with the pep talk, you know, or there was... There was Clark with uh, saving them all. Like, I think even, you know, it sort of ended on a sad or even I guess it kind of it did end on a sad note on the ring in that um, Raven and Bellamy are, you know, mourning Clark because they think she's dead. But even that was a hopeful note. You know, that was Bellamy framing it as he's going to take this pain, this loss, and he's going to make it count, you know, like he's going to to do something with it. So it was like kind of, you know, and then of course, like the last scene we see is like, Hey, Clark made it. And, and she's like, she's holding on to hope and she found a family, you know, she's not alone. So it was like super duper hopeful. And like, you know, contrast that with the last scene that we got in the bunker, which is Kane, like overseeing the dragging of people out into the Polo streets so that they can be incinerated you know, after gassing them out of pure desperation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like apologizing weeping about, like, this to is Abby. How save our people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they are at a low, low, low point. Like they're alive, you know, but like at what cost emotionally and psychologically, and just in terms of like sheer cost of life. So you know, so I don't, I don't really, I don't really have any like big grand conclusions on that subject yet i mean maybe hopefully we'll sort of we can work through something now but i just thought that was i was really struck by that contrast
1: yeah i i i agree with you i think i think sort of in its in its simplest terms you know, four twelve is a, or I guess the sort of the bunker storyline. You know, in in four twelve, is a drama, and the science island stuff, and then all of the finale. It's like an action movie, and and action movies in some in some ways like those kind of stories. Are sort of in in many ways can be inherently hopeful because there's like a thing to be overcome and everyone is racing against the clock to overcome it and it's a story that has this sort of bullet train speed of forward trajectory but it's moving forward and I think the thing like this is the thing that I feel like tonally is the biggest difference but it's also for me the thing that made the finale work the best is that it was one storyline with everyone working together where I'm really interested is. I think a cool thing that this sets up for season five is that already we have three very different sets of incredibly high stakes for the three different sets of season five flashbacks that we're going to get. You know, so on on the arc, we have these characters who are like bonded as a unit. You know, they're all grieving for Clark, who they think is dead, although, of course, we know that she's not. But they're like, you know, like every single one of them is like established as a functional unit, like they work together as a team to get themselves there, they need each other to work together as a team to survive. And so that the stakes of that are going to be again, I think more, more in that action movie mindset. like what do they have to do to get the arc back up and running? What are the, you know, like, Race against time, you know. Are they running out of food? You know, who has to learn a skill they've never had to learn before? Like how are Echo and Amori, who have no idea how this technology really works, get like all that kind of stuff? But like the core unit um, and those relationships are in a very sort of positive, hopeful place. So like that's one very distinct tone. And then we're gonna have Clark for however long she's alone and desperate and thinking that, you know, like her friends are in space, not coming back from her for five years. You know, we know at some point she tries to get to Polis, tries to get to the bunker and can't, you know, sort of realize that she's alone and that, you know, for, so for however long she's kind of wandering alone and desperate before she like finds this person who gives her a human connection again. That'll be a very different kind of, kind of emotional tone. And then I suspect what they're setting up to happen in the bunker, which I'm really interested in is we were talking a little bit before about one of the interviews that Jason did leading into the finale, he kind of implied a little bit that, you know, is there sort of a qualitative difference between how the Grounders view and, or I guess how the Grounders totally accept Octavia's leadership um, in a way that maybe Sky Crew doesn't because they, you know, everything in the contract of how everyone is now living together, the Grounders knowingly agreed to, you know, she won the Conclave fair and square, and they all selected their 100 survivors fair and square. It was all, like, legal and above board. And Sky Crew didn't agree to either of those things. They didn't agree to share the bunker. That was done by force. And they didn't agree to the 100 people who were survivors because there was a lottery. And then they dispensed with a lottery after everybody was, like, you know, was was gassed. So I – um, so despite, you know, us seeing Octavia, you know, giving that speech and everyone kind of gathered around – I really think what they're setting up for season five with a bunker is that a lot of what happens in those flashbacks is going to be the political and relationship fallout among Sky crew and of the grounders and sort of really really digging into a very like a very dark and complicated kind of like political and relationship driven story about how all of these people sort of learn to coexist in the choices that she has to make you know to kind of retain her position of leadership and how to sort of get people to like you know like indra says where to eat where to sleep like you're in charge of everything like you are in charge of everything you know they're all looking to you for all of this stuff and that's all new for her so i do think that like ending i think ending 412 on that really dark and and hopeless note i think sets up some some content that I'm really interested in exploring in season five that I think, both for tone reasons and just for time reasons, there just isn't, you know, there would never have been room to address anything happening in that bunker in a way that could lift it into that more hopeful place where it would fit with a tone of the space storyline so I think in some ways it's better that they kind of let it lie you know like like with Kane and Abby I am as bummed as any cabbie shipper you know that there was zero Kane and Abby in the finale although I'm glad that we got the sort of drive-by mention that I guess her brain problem has been addressed (laughs) that Raven did manage to like tell her "It's like yeah yeah don't worry her brain isn't going to explode in the next five years Yeah. It's like, okay, well, that's one less thing to worry about. Uh, I I wish we'd seen it, but I'm glad I can, I can sleep at night now, but right. (laughs) And, you know, and obviously I was sad that that she and Clark didn't get to say goodbye, but, but I, you know, given, given the sort of the constraints of the storyline and the fact that like really that whole, the whole sort of space storyline really did have this, like it had this momentum that you really couldn't have broken up with a cut back to this darker and slower and more kind of emotionally messy storyline that has all of this sort of gravitas to it that's happening in the bunker. You couldn't have you couldn't have had an A story and a B story in this episode without losing all of that momentum.
0: One thing that I noticed from the from this last episode and was thinking about before is like the last the two episodes that really were awesome in the second half of this season were this one and uh, 410, The um, the Conclave. And the thing that those two episodes have in common, there were one main A storyline with like a couple of sort of small sub-stories, but that were like directly tied into the main A story rather than having like what we've had in a lot of other episodes where it's like A, B, and C plots, all of which are totally separate, which seems not coincidental to me. You know, like the two episodes that really just were like propulsive in their pacing that had great you know emotional sort of like character payoff as well as plot payoff had that kind of like really tight focused structure so yeah so like while i totally get you know like that the bummer that we didn't get to see more inside the bunker i do think it was really like this this was a storyline this was an episode that needed to be focused on that one thing
1: Totally, and I yeah, I completely agree. Like, I was I was thinking like I feel slightly like a little bit of a of a you know traitor to my fandom by saying this, but like my three <laughs> fa- my three favorite episodes like just structurally of the past two seasons were Nevermore last season, and then Dial Die Merrily, and this one, and and even though. Abby was in none of those and Kane was only in one of those three but all three of those were like there was one storyline that had a group like a group of people working together and it was action and relationship driven but it was one thing yes and it started and then it didn't stop it excel I mean they were they're like they're not really bottle episodes because you go to different places but storyline wise they kind of were you know where you have like an A story of which small things branch off of it. You know, you have like side pairings and side relationships, you know, in in um, Nevermore, you have like, you know, it's not really about Clark and Jasper, but the moments between Clark and Jasper feed into the main storyline. You know, in in the Conclave episode, it's not about Indra and Gaia, but that moment feeds into the A story. You know, and in this one, yeah. you know, we have like the Monty and Murphy little side quest. It's little things that happen Where you get character moments that sort of slow down and breathe and remind us why the action stakes are so high. Exactly. But the story is just one story. And I love, and for me, it's like that's when I, when I love this show the most, it's because they're going all in on one totally bananas plot twist. And every (laughs) storyline, like in every piece of the, of the show, breathlessly propelling this one insane thing forward you know whether it's like raven going crazy because there's an ai backfiring inside her brain or you know or octavia and the conclave or raven having to retrofit a rocket in 45 minutes yeah
0: but because it's just focused on that one thing and because that one thing is so like you know you can kind of pick momentum they have this space to slow down and and like kind of pause for a second and kind of check in and go like here's what this huge, crazy thing happening means for this character or this relationship. Here's what it means for this character or this relationship. So it's like, it, it strikes that really, really, really satisfying, awesome balance between propulsive action, you know, like bananas, crazy plot stuff. And then also just like really, really solid, deep, character moments that that kind of give you that anchor to like it's not just bananas plot stuff here's here's here the stakes of it specifically or like yeah this is what this thing happening means to this person in this moment which is really where you kind of like i feel most anchored You know, like, and I feel like these characters are, like, real, fully fleshed out people in, you know, in a way that isn't, isn't, like, gone, you know, in other episodes where this isn't the case, but is maybe more muted or, like, where there's just no time, you know? If you have, like, so much plot to get through an A, the A story and the B story and sometimes the C story, you just, like, you just have to kind of, like, plow through it and, you know, some of, and it just, it just constrains somewhat what is possible to put on the screen. And I think the thing that seems to get sacrificed the fastest is sort of, like, slowing down character moments like like in 411 you know when we sort of skipped over the aftermath of bellamy pointing the gun at or excuse me clark pointed the gun at bellamy you know like we didn't we didn't sort of skip that aftermath like abruptly cut away from it and then didn't come back to it you know like until right. into 412 you know and like that sort of skip was really sort of abrupt you know i felt the first time i watched it i was sort of I was, I you know, I was like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and then, yeah, and then, and then, and then it, like exactly. it felt like there was something missing, you know. But it was just sort of like they had like crap to get through, so that's the thing that got cut. But I think that's the you know those moments where you can kind of fill them in if you try. Those are the moments when they're there that really make things stick. And so, like, I think, I think that's what, that was really important that this was a one storyline episode, and it makes me sort of like, not not that I think that like not that I'm like. 412 needed to be this way but it does it makes me kind of like like think about like oh man how awesome would it have been if 412 had been nothing but the bunker story you know like just yeah like, dig into that. like it couldn't be you know they had to get them they had to get the the space squad together and get them to science island and there was no time to do that in this episode and i get it you know like that's i, yeah. I totally understand why that but it is the way it is but it does make me go like but can you just imagine what they could have done with one full hour that was nothing but that bunker story?
1: I know, I was thinking about that too. Like like it could have it could have worked to like 308 and 309, where you yeah. have like like a story where you know the halves are sort of eventually gonna come together or they're or they're um obliquely connected, but instead of of bouncing back and forth and sort of breaking up the trajectory, you have the space to really like dig deeply into All of the six because the stuff in four twelve that I feel like what really worked in four twelve was the stuff that was deeply character based. That I was surprised that the thread of four twelve that I found the most emotionally moving actually was which I can't even believe that I'm saying, but it was the relationship between Kane and Jaha. You know? It's like fucking Jaha. Haunting me all season, making me like like him and then hate him and then be confused by him and then like him and then hate him and then be confused by him and then like him again. (laughs) The moments between the two of them in that episode that sort of like to me, it felt like it led us kind of shorthand back to what we know of the partnership that they built over years and years together in season one. And, you know, making like Kane the only person who could really get through to Jaha in that moment, but also reminding us that this has always been the kind of leader that Jaha is, that kind of connection to history, you know. And so, um, you know, the stuff that always works in this episode or in this in this show, like no matter how kind of high stakes the action is, no matter how crazy the sci fi twists are, it's like you can take me almost anywhere and it's grounded in these people's real relationships like I will absolutely buy an evil AI possessing people's brains and making them try to kill each other I will absolutely believe you know a rogue lost spacecraft full of you know missing penal colony miners like like there's there's Space nothing you can Australians, do Space, Space Australians we're getting Space Australia yeah
0: like there's like which is fitting because there's so many Aussies on this show I'm just I know I, I know like
1: like, it's like this is great yeah but you know I I've always felt like like you can you can take me to any number of totally batshit insane places plot wise if I believe the like the reality and the emotional truth of these people's, you know, relationships and and characters. And I think what I loved so much about the, um, the kind of the tone and the overall shape of the way the Science Island storyline played out, both, you know, in 412 coming into 413, um, but really, really, truly sort of really sang in the finale was that it was, it took the time in so many key places to remember these people's history, you know, and to remember like, yeah. like the deepest parts of of who they are to sort of recenter some relationships that haven't gotten a lot of play together. It was full of sort of like, callbacks to their season one dynamics it was full of like little reminders of things about who these people are to each other that we were starting to lose because the groups have been so separated for such a long time you know so that's what makes the you know it's not just exciting because it's like they have to get a rocket off the ground in, like, an hour. Like, that could be a totally flat and soulless storyline in the hands of, like, lesser writers. Like, that yeah. could have, like, like there's absolutely a way that you could have bored my pants off with this. If it didn't feel <laughs> rooted in reminding us who these people are and why we care about them and giving us just driving, like, barreling forward like a freight train with, like, everyone having a specific job. Like, it just, like, the the shape of it worked so well both as an hour of television and as a season finale that i just feel like it was yeah like everything you know like again like minus cabbie everything that i love about this show was like on like on full display in this finale i felt like just like as a as a piece of writing as a piece of television culmination to a season that like we've been sort of like up and down over it was like this is what this show does the best
0: yes well, speaking of being up and down, so I, I would like to talk... I, I do have some thoughts about 412. Um, yes, including the talk about Hopefully I won't rehash too much, but... So, okay, so, like, full disclosure about four 412. So last week, it, it actually wound up... I think it wound up being really good that I didn't have time to record last week anyway, because I think when I watched 412 the first time, I was still really upset and angry about Jasper. Like, I was just... Mm-hmm still so raw about it and like in a really in a really sort of visceral way you know I mean if you listen to that podcast then you will have heard like how (laughs) Mm. how emotional we were but I think it it really kind of like dug its claws into me or I guess maybe just sort of like ripped open some stuff that was like a little bit more in a a more serious way than I had realized and I was still and I was just like angry I think I was just like Mm -hmm. I think I was just angry with the show yeah And I think it was also still too close. So it was like too close to 4.11 for that reason. And I think maybe a couple of other reasons. So when I first watched 4.12, I just like, I really did not like it. (laughs) Like I was just like really not, not feeling it at all. And I kind of like, I knew that some of it was for legitimate reasons. And I knew that I could, I could rationalize it. Like that's Mm -hmm. the thing, you know, like this is the dangerous thing. Rationalization is, is kind of a problem because it means that you can you can come up with reasons why you think anything, you know. <laughs> but I but I knew like on some level I kind of knew that I would be rationalizing something that wasn't really rational. You know, like I wasn't reacting mm-hmm. to the episode as it was fully. I think I was reacting to a lot of other stuff. So it was good to get a break and then I came back and watched it this week and I did like it a lot more with the distance. And I think mm-hmm. that so so one of the reasons is that, you know, I feel like emotionally recovered from Jasper son. Not that, like, we'll talk about, I still, there's still issues with the lack of follow through, um, which we can mm. talk about later. But I'm not, like, as viscerally angry about it. You know, like, mm. I was, after 4 or 12, I mean, I was still to the point where I couldn't read, I couldn't read reviews. You know, I yeah. was, like, crying. So, like, I was just a mess. So I think that, that some of the liking it better had to do with the fact that I was, that I had, I was sort of, like, emotionally out of that, state of mind yeah but i think another reason honestly and this is this is more this is more of an actual issue i think is that i was also more distant from 412 so i was less strongly aware of the sort of like gaps and discrepancies of like what they set up in 411 in terms Mm -hmm. of like particularly clark's choice and what it means and the rationalizations for it versus what 412 said it was about. And I think right. I think coming back and watching that and, and being able to just accept, like, okay, the show's telling me that what happened in in 410, you know, end of 410 and then 411 was Clark had an impossible choice, you know, and there was like no good answer for her. When I had some space, I could come be like back and be like, okay, sure, that's the that's the thing you're saying that happened. That's the basis of the story you're going with. So fine, we'll go with that. Watching it on that, watching 412 and 413 on that basis, it works. My problem was the first time, 411, I was not, for all the reasons we talked about, I think, in that podcast, 411, I was not persuaded that Mm -hmm. that was true. It was not at all like sold to me that this was truly an impossible choice for Clark, that there was no good answer, you know, et cetera, et cetera, because of the way that we were shown that that you know, like we ne- they, we never got full. Clark's fears were never really like shown to be realistic.
1: Yeah, exactly. And all yeah. of
0: all of the things you know, and basically like this is also this is also sort of a lingering problem that I have with Jaha in four twelve, which I'll talk about in a minute. And that like all of the all of the things that Clark was worried about in four eleven were problems that only existed because she made the wrong choice. You know, because she jumped yeah. the gun and not only jumped the gun, but then refused to back down or, like, talk to the people outside or anything. Right. So it was like she made a, a, a bad choice and then doubled down on it for as far as for as far as far I could tell from that episode. No particularly good or persuasively good reason. And then after that, the show was sort of like, but it wasn't a possible choice. And when I was really close to it, I was just, like, super frustrated. I was like, but it fucking wasn't, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I still think, I mean, I still have those, those sort of, that through line, I don't think, worked from 11 to 12 and Clark. So the first time I watched when I got to the Abby Clark scene, you know, and Abby is talking to her like, you are one of the good guys, you know, like you had no good choice, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I was really annoyed by that conversation the first time I know, because I, I was know, like, yeah. well, I don't know what like version of events you just watched, Abby, but like none of that, none of it felt. It seemed like, like weirdly like a retcon or something. Like It just felt like wrong for Abby to be saying it. And I couldn't figure out why Abby would say it because it didn't sort of like fit with the actual events that were depicted in 4.11 to me. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, when I came back to it this week, yesterday, and then watching it again today and watched that scene, having gotten some sort of like temporal and emotional distance from 4.11 and was able to just watch it going like, okay... I can, I can set aside four eleven and accept like, this is the version, this is how you are wanting things to have been. Based on that, I liked that Abby Clark conversation a lot, you know, like I actually like that, that worked for me the second time through, which I think is one of those things, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the point of that other than to say that, that there were some, there were some like sort of, Issues with four eleven shadowing four twelve for me, yeah. for you know that that were a problem. And then the other problem was, of course, that in four eleven the um, Bellamy Clark gun scene was dropped. Just like abruptly, you know, cut away from Clark and never, never got any follow through on her sort of like subsequent reactions or Bellamy's subsequent reaction. Like when he came back in, what was the, we never really got to sort of check in on like, what is the status of their, their relationship as a result of her actions and his actions? What did that mean for them? You know, so when we came back to them in 412, you know, with Bellamy just kind of being like grumpily silent and Clark being worried, you know again it felt like something was missing and and we're sort of being dropped back into something you know, on the assumption of a status quo that had not been established. And that was, like, really frustrating to me the first time through. And then the second time through, I was still, you know, I'm not, like, in love with it. But I was just like, okay, fine, fine, sure, why? Yeah, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) (laughs) This is what's happening. We're going with it. Right. So, you know, so I think this is basically just to say, I think, like, 412 and 413 as a unit work together very beautifully. Yeah. The, The transition from 411 to 412, you know, I almost just feel like... I, you know, I just like, I wish we had, they had another episode. You know what I mean? Like just one more episode for those loose ends just to have like, know, like to give know. all that stuff a little bit more room to breathe. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is what it is and they didn't have that. um And they made the choices they made to fit in what they thought was important, but it just, it, there was some sort of like, it was a little bit rough. It was like, it was a little bit rough for me on 412 yeah. the first time. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I think, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I do feel like, you know, this is an area where... I'm really, really interested to see how all of this plays out when we like binge watch it at the end, like when it, like when yeah. it all comes out on Netflix and they watch it all together. Will it, will it make some of the gaps between what they said happened and what actually happened, um, in terms of like Clark's motivation, will it make those things sort of feel like smoother, or will it make those gaps feel more pronounced? I'm not quite sure, but because like, I felt the same way as you, I, I felt like one of my big frustrations with both you know, first Nyla and then Abby being used to kind of, like, reassure Clark that she made the right decision was that I didn't feel like anything that we saw in the narrative to that point bore that out as justification. Like, I wasn't ready for everyone to make Clark feel better about her choice yet. And then and then Bellamy does it again, and it was like, okay, so I guess, like, so I guess, like, the narrative they're going with is, like, now she was put in this sort of impossible position.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the problem is that 310, it was just, like, it was... I don't know, like something, I I will be curious to see how this goes on rewatch, because I feel like something was lost in, something was like lost in translation almost, because like, it's it seems clear to me now that what they were going for was Clark made an impossible decision and there was no good answer, so she just like did something, and like, so that's like the point, there was no good answer. Right. But like, the problem is that like, actually, logistically, that isn't true. Like, there there was supposed to be a story about like, there's no good answer, but this wasn't a situation necessarily where there wasn't a good answer except because, like, people kept doubling down on, the on a, like, the worst answer. Right. You know, like, it did not feel authentically to me like genuinely there was no good out. And part of it is, I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is because the only time we got the sort of, like, here's the bad thing that will happen if Clark doesn't stick with her original decision, was her just lying there with Nyla being like, here is exposition of my, you know, of my logistical concerns, which is like, dramatize that, you know, like. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, yeah. Also, like, I'll, you know, to go back, like, the, the twist at the end of 310 was cool at the moment, but now having got here and seeing what that storyline was supposed to be doing, I do think we needed, if like, if the point of that was they made an impossible decision, then we needed to see them make that decision. That's how I feel too. the impossibility of it. Yeah. Like it worked as a twist if it was supposed to sort of alienate us from Clark and make us have some distance from her and go like, damn, Clark, you know, kind of went dark. But if we weren't supposed to be doing that, I don't think like the twist kind of actually backfired a little bit in terms of, clarity of like what was what that choice of Clark's was actually supposed to mean that's how I feel too I
1: I think that the yeah I, th- I think that it it worked if the initial reasoning for it which is which is sort of how how I felt after 410 like the reason why I loved it in the context that it first came in in 410 was because I felt like okay so what this is doing is now sort of you know retroactively legitimizing several storylines and themes that have been building over the course of the season that I didn't, I wasn't quite sure where they were going, which is sort of the like increased kind of like opacity of Clark's decision-making process. You know, her becoming yeah. more and more removed from people, making choices that are more and more unilateral, her, you know, like sort of the the kind of seeming redemption arc of Jaha and Clark and Jaha's closeness and all of those kind of leadership parallels and all of these sort of reminders of his, you know, his sort of ruthless unilateral decision-making style kind of Off on her, and all of this kind of chosen one rhetoric. Like, okay, okay. So, like, where we landed is like the culmination of all those things is like this big twist. Bam. And then, yeah, and then because it felt like it was sort of immediately undercut by like, oh, no, no, we're actually supposed to have a lot of empathy for the decision that she made and feel like perhaps this is one of those situations where it looks bad on the surface, but we're supposed to really understand why she did this. Then I need to understand why she did it,
0: you know? Or even more than like, not only just understand why she did it, but also think that it was a good choice among, or like equal among all the other choices she could have made. Which yeah. Which seems to be where they were going with it. Yes. Sort of, but not with enough consistency. Yeah. And using all these sort of
1: trustworthy POV characters, like first Nyla and then Abby and then Bellamy, like the three people who know her the best of, you know, like of who is in that bunker, using them one by one by one to sort of like craft this narrative where, Clark is being extended, like, sympathy and compassion and understanding for this choice in a way that's like, okay, so the narrative wants us to have sympathy and understanding for this choice, but since we didn't watch her get there, like, I don't, I don't feel that yet.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. And, And also just, like, we never really got a full articulation, I think, of, well, okay, so here's, here's where I think that 412 actually does much better what they were trying to do in sort of 410, 411 in a couple of ways. So like for one thing, we did retroactively get the sort of explanation of the repercussions of Bellamy and Abby's side of things, Bellamy and Abby and Octavia's side of things, which is that you know, w- which we got in the, in the confrontation between Bellamy and Murphy. When Murphy points out, when you opened that door, you killed me and Emery. Um, or Mori, sorry. <laughs> I always mispronounce that. <laughs> which, you know, is something that had not, I, like, I had that hadn't occurred to me. It obviously hadn't occurred to Bellamy. But it's a totally legit perspective, which is that you are overall saving more human beings. You know, you're saving like 800 more human lives than you would have saved if you only had Sky Crew in there. So and like that is not that that was like a point of view that I felt like was getting kind of brushed aside or ignored in four eleven and four twelve in a way that I, th- I actually thought was sort of especially with Jaha and mm-hmm. four twelve like I actually I'm like Jaha leaves me totally cold in four twelve like I mean the the sort of intellectually interesting story storyline I just don't like have mm, any sympathy for him as a person at all and one of the things that is really frustrating to me is that and and like might be intentional, but I feel like the the thing that didn't get any play there really is like they say they are he's like, we're not saving, we're killing these people, we're killing these people. It's like you're saving more people. Like if you're looking at like sheer total number of lives, you're saving twice or three yeah. times as many people now than you were before.
1: And the only place that was articulated was Cain talking to Abby. Like that was the only time that was said out loud and it was said to Abby and not to Clark.
0: Not even, like, in the context of, I mean, like, as kind of, like, a way to make her feel better. It wasn't even sort of framed as an argument for, here is why this is self-evidently the better choice, regardless of how hard it is. You know, especially if we're going with the whole, like, everybody's transcending tribalism, one crew thing. You know, and and so... On the flip side, you know, Murphy points out the very true fact that by opening that door, you are saving more people total. And Bellamy and Abby are saving specific people who are very important to them. But by making that choice, they are sort of like unwittingly making a choice as well to kill other specific people. And so, you know, so I thought like, like that was really effective in terms of you'd see Bellamy sort of pausing. Like he hadn't thought about the fact that him opening the door, which he understood to be absolutely the only right thing to do for a whole host of reasons, Octavia, plus everyone else, you know, plus, plus all those grounders, all the grounder lives, plus, you know, fairness, just yeah, like yeah, yeah. justice, they won, like, you know, this is whatever. He hadn't thought about the fact that in doing so, he was signing a death warrant for other people you know and I think like that was that was great to get but that was one of those things where I was like man I needed that in 411 Mm -hmm. you know like I needed that I needed I needed I needed Clark to yeah I would like to see Clark articulate that argument to Bellamy or Abby you know to say like for her to sort of to, to get a picture of what Clark's not just Clark is not just clinging to a bad choice because she doesn't know what else to do or whatever i'm not even clear why it's like honestly part of 411 my problem with four eleven is it wasn't even entirely clear to me why she was clinging to that choice other than like jaha was in her head right right and the thing that she wanted all along was happening like it wasn't at all clear to me why she didn't just reverse you know and i think having having her and it would be totally within clark's like totally in character for clark to you know be concerned about that to be like Very viscerally aware, you know, very emotionally aware of the fact that no matter what happens, which choice she makes, she's signing someone's death warrant and she cannot bring herself to sign the death warrant of the people who are exactly in there with her right now, you know, which is like a completely legitimate way to feel right like there's people in front of you right and then there are people who are abstractions you know and it would be kind of great to have gotten Clark to be like now she's identifying with the people instead of the abstraction which is kind of where she's going so like that was a thing in 412 was like 412 finally landed something that made 411 work retroactively but I was like that
1: (laughs) um (laughs) well and and because i th- i think it's one of those things where like when we get frustrated with the narrative choices on the show it's because it's like it's something that it's like it's so close to working and then doesn't quite stick the landing because the because the to me like the clearest and most empathetic and most realistic kind of emotional motivation for clark Um, and you know, and for Jaha too, um, which he and he sort of like a little bit vaguely I think sort of alludes to it more when he talks about they they're here, they pack their bags, they've like pictured their lives here. Like the idea of in who you invite into the bunker versus kicking people out of the bunker is a massive distinction that is very, very, very simple to explain. Like Octavia's choice is so different from Jaha and Clark's Choice because what Octavia is doing is saying like okay all of you clans get together and you decide which of your people are going to survive you know and and so flipping that on its head by saying okay all of you people who think that you are safe now we're going to choose which of you are no longer safe so instead of giving something it's taking something away and I feel like I think the episode sort of sort of circled around that in some places but didn't really press hard on that button and to me I feel like emotionally that's the that's the thing that I the most deeply believe in Clark's inability to face
0: I mean I can I can completely buy Clark's struggling with the idea of sacrificing her people. You know, as much as she wants to save everyone and has been, you know, sort of moving away from identifying just with Sky Crew all season. Like, it's a really sort of deep thing, right? Like, I, you know, I can see her, her struggling when, like, when the moment comes when yeah, she comes yeah, yeah. to shove. Struggling to, like, pull the trigger on that, you know? Like, that is totally understandable and empathetic and, like, God, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you know, you're always going to care more about people you know than people you don't. That's just kind of how humans work, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, like, it never – it never quite clicked together. You know, it, like, in 4.11, it didn't click together. And there's sort of, like, a way, like, retrospectively that I can go back and fill in those gaps. But it's a little right. bit in, like, again, this, this is why, like, the sort of transition from 4.11 to 4.12 was sort of, like, bumpy. <laughs> I kept getting, like, snagged on things of being, like, oh, that didn't seem right. to track. Or, like, oh, I wish I had gotten that last episode or whatever. And, again, like, now, having gotten more distance, I think I, I could let that go more. But the first time, I was just like, that, <laughs> um, And, like, so same thing, I think with um with clark and abby's conversation like the first time when, when i saw the preview of that conversation you know before 412 even aired i was like what the fuck <laughs> um
1: <laughs> me too yeah i was really mad when i saw it out of context i was like i'm not ready for her mom to tell her she's a good person yet uh, i'm still like, mad
0: this is <laughs> telling her she's a good guy for her. like really like this is the hill we're gonna die on to reverse the thesis of the show really yeah um <laughs> and then like watching it in context <laughs> the first time I, I was more okay with it watching it again later on I I like it now and I think it's because I think I read it very differently now than I did the first couple of times like like I said once I got the like distance from once I kind of managed to put in between me like all right mm-hmm. we're gonna like far enough away from the way that I read 4.11 for me to be able to separate that from what the show is telling me 4.11 meant in 4.12. You know, like now that I have enough, I have, I'm like, (laughs) you know, like emotionally able Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, we'll just go with you. Um, (laughs) so within that kind of like setting aside, setting aside my issues with The way that Clark and her motivations were written in 411 and just kind of going with the idea that that was supposed to be about Clark facing an impossible choice and sort of and then also possibly I think maybe Clark getting kind of like trapped or mired in the idea that she has no choice you know the idea that she cannot possibly make another choice
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which i think
0: is again like that's a part of what they're trying to convey in 411 is that she can't bring herself to let go of the reasons that she made the choice she did and and the fears that drove that i think that's kind of what they were going for you know so accepting all of that I mean I, I, I really I like the Clark and Abby scene it's sort of on its own just for like a mother daughter scene like a, it's a beautiful scene and you know I get all choked up I mean like you know Clark's mom saying I love yeah, you yeah, yeah. And all. like it's just like it's very sweet my mom was here for my birthday yeah. and like I love my mom a lot and so I have a lot of I have a lot of mom feels right now uh, <laughs> I'm just like oh moms <laughs> I know me too yeah <laughs> <laughs> moms are the best I love you mom she doesn't listen to the podcast but whatever <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's fine. It's fine. She, she knows. Uh. Anyway. (laughs) So, so that aside, I think even, I think maybe like my initial reading of that was wrong, you know, because like the first time through, I kind of read it as like, like, this is Abby standing in for the narrative being like, You are a good guy, Clark. Therefore, everything you have done is good kind of thing. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. You know, like, I don't think that that's what is happening in that Mm -hmm. scene. You know, I think a lot of it is just, is just like a mother saying goodbye to her daughter, you know. But I think actually, like, it occurred to me watching it yesterday and today that I think kind of like maybe thematically, the thing that connects that moment to the Kane and Jaha moment is that it's not like what's what's important there is not it's not that Abby is saying like you're a good guy Clark therefore everything you've ever done is right you know she's she's sort of comforting her and and we get that sort of confirmation like the issue that's going on with Clark right now is that she's stuck she doesn't feel like she can ever do anything that's going to be okay. You know, like, nothing is okay, like she says later. Like, every choice she makes, someone dies. There right. is no possible way that she can do... She can go one way or the other without something horrible happening to someone somewhere somehow. And she feels sort of like... So, so there's no kind of way to be clean. You know, there's, like, no way... There's nothing she can do that doesn't have sort of, like, massive moral implications of some form or another. But I think, like, the really important thing about the there are good guys, you are a good guy line, is that I think rather than retroactively justifying past actions, that kind of frees Clark to be able to sort of see herself differently. You know, she's been mired in guilt and pain and the sense that, like, no matter what I do, I'm a bad guy. You know, yeah. no matter what I do, there are no good guys. There is no good. It's Just sort of, like, feeling dirty and wrong and and you know, soaked in blood no matter which way she turns, that was more of a, not aspirational, but, like, getting that that sort of sense from her mother, like, remember deep down inside, like, fundamentally, you are a good guy, enables her to kind of, like, I think it makes it possible for her to reconnect to her heart. Because that's what Clark does. You know, like, she's been so disconnected from everyone, from everything, you know, and, like, in so many ways, like, disconnected from her own heart, you know, doing things like... Almost forcibly making Emory a Nightblood, stealing Luna's but You know, like Clark and Abby have done all these things where they've had to sort of suppress their feelings about it to do a thing mm-hmm. that they think is necessary. And and Clark, you could see Clark doing that in Four Eleven. Like, you know, that's what she's she's sort of like pushing down, pushing down her her sort of like deep innate sense of feeling and connection and right and wrong to the point where she's like seriously considering shooting Bellamy. You know, like like talk about a suppression of her heart. It would right, be right. like shooting her best friend in order to stick with the thing that she thinks is best. And same thing with like locking out Kane. You mm-hmm. know, she sort of had to shut that down. And so I think I think the important thing is that like that Abby saying you are a good guy makes it possible for Clark. Like it makes it possible for Clark to believe her, that of herself again. And believing that of herself makes it possible for her to reconnect to the part of her that she kind of thinks is yeah. good to that, that heart of her. And that enables her, I think, to start making a different a different set of choices in the last two episodes than she had been making before.
1: Yeah, I think I I feel the same way. I think that I think that's a really I think that's how we were meant to interpret that scene and I think I that think it, so, yeah. it landed I think it landed badly on me out of context because of for the same reason that like as much as I really like I really love Nyla and I really love Nyla and Clark together that the arc scene from the previous episode landed on me the same way too whereas it just sort of felt like I'm not yet like I don't have enough information yet to feel like I'm ready to sort of like extend my benevolent arms to Clark Griffin and like have the narrative <laughs> forgive her but I do I just I blame think the you're right. plot I, I for think, that
0: like the plot did not <laughs> the plot did not help Clark <laughs> <laughs> yeah the plot yeah the plot she
1: did not come up looking well, yeah, but I do think especially like in in the in the context that we now know that that is the last time that Clark and Abby see each other for six years. And, you know, and Clark saying like, this isn't goodbye, like Clark, like I think what I think is really sort of lovely and heartbreaking about that moment in the context of what happens in 413, where they don't get a chance to say goodbye. So we know now that like that moment was the goodbye. And that on some level for Abby, whether it was because of her like, sort of awareness of her own mortality from thinking about this this illness or whether because she had on some level already maybe begun to consider even that early in the episode whether she was going to end up putting herself on the other side of the door but that she but like something in Abby is is feeling like this is goodbye and Mm -hmm. she has to kind of get in some like urgent last minute parenting Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and 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 Clark is kind of like mom like why are you being weird (laughs) like like, (laughs) why are you so emotional you know
0: She's like, you're a good guy. And Clark's like, I but I hurt Bella. And Clark's like, <laughs> I'll be back
1: in like six hours. Why are you being like this? You know, like, like, what are you doing? But, you know, but I think that like in, in the context of knowing that that is their last moment, like the last thing that Clark's mother says to her before they're separated for this huge amount of time in which Clark has to do, you know, not just the things that we've seen, but also like things that we will see in flashbacks and things that are coming, you know, in the present storyline, like things that force her to make extreme choices, I think it's actually incredibly powerful and significant. Like you said, that that we see her kind of moving through those sets of choices with this reframed sense of herself that she received from her mother in that last moment, Yeah, like in her mind, you know, yeah. like that she, because we learn at the top of the episode in 413, that the radio connection goes out at like, just as she's about to, you know, like have the, you know have the radio have the intercom you know passed off from Octavia to Abby so that she can get a chance to say her goodbye and you know and then she doesn't get that and i think that you know and then we get that beautiful like you know emotional moment with the hug between her and Bellamy like comforting her because she doesn't because she doesn't get a chance to get any mm-hmm. sort of closure with her mother mm-hmm. but what that means is that then for like for us the audience and for Clark the person that that moment between her and Abby with the you know you are a good guy Like looms sort of only even larger in her mind as like, this is like, you know, like this will forever be for the next six years, the last thing that her mother said to her.
0: Yeah. You know? And,
1: and so I think it's, so I, I, so I feel like in the context of that, it feels tremendously powerful and important and hopeful. And I, and I do think that, you know, in some really nice, beautifully subtle kind of ways, I think it's really lovely to sort of see her... To see this sort of new version of Clark. And not even like post-time jump, but like the kind of new version of her she becomes over the course of what happens in the last two episodes to see that like I think a lot of that is because we're feeling like her mother has freed her from this burden of feeling like the Clark was sort of interpreting it as like the most negative and dark and nihilistic interpretation of there are no good guys meaning yeah. they don't exist so you are not one and right. so everything that you do is on some way sort of morally compromised and so either a you know fuck it or be, no matter how hard you try, it will never be enough, you know. And you're just sort of like in this kind of Sisyphean task of trying to like carve out some little amount of good, but like, what's the fucking point? Like, that's the that's the really bleak interpretation of of what Abby said and of mm-hmm. what that you there are no good guys line meant when she said that. What she was trying, like, she was trying to sort of like alleviate a burden, like she was trying to sort of teach Clark something that she had learned, which is like. There are no good guys, meaning, like, when she does it in the end of season two, what that means is that, like there are no moral black and whites which is really sort of like abby's arc over the first two seasons was coming to the conclusion that like her certainty of her own rightness was often like super problematic Mm -hmm, you know and mm -hmm. her insistence that there were always really clear lines and you're either on my side or you're not like that's kind of abby's sort of fatal flaw and that she had sort of evolved into like a messier and more complex understanding of you know in in a similar way to sort of how kane did that down here on the ground where everything is different the way that you made choices on the arc no longer applies you know and so when she says it to clark i think she means it to be maybe there are no good guys i was sort of imposing upon you like a structure for moral decision making that made you feel like a terrible person and i'm now realizing that was wrong you know but i think Mm -hmm. in some ways clark heard that in a way that was a darker way than her mom had intended it you know that that meant that she was never going to successfully be able to be like quote unquote good you know or Mm -hmm. like a good person and always only seeing the dark side of the choices that she made or the reasons why the choices that she made were you know were bad and feeling this kind of increased sense of desperation of you know there is no good choice there's never a good choice nothing I do is good enough you know like I'm trying so hard and I can't ever I think the way what Abby said in the moment when she said it and knowing that like that will sort of be you know Clark's mom's voice in her head when she makes hard decisions from now on because that was their last moment i think is really beautiful and and makes me feel like retroactively like that was sort of that was the most like that was sort of in some ways like the most true and right and Abby thing that Abby could say which sort of like, yeah. I'm, like I'm letting you go and I'm like I'm, I'm helping you sort of like take off this burden and go be the person like go do the thing that you have to do you know because on some level I think Abby Abby was thinking in a way that Clark was not thinking like if this is the last thing that I get to say to you what I want you to know is that like you are a good person
0: yeah you know, yeah yeah no it is and 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 so meaningful coming from a parent you know that kind of sense of like yes yeah like knowing that your parent loves you and thinks that you are inherently good is like so Mm -hmm. powerfully important yeah Mm -hmm. and so and so i think that really does i think you can kind of sort of you can kind of trace the effect on that of that on clark through the last two episodes and that i think you know we start to see well i mean like in in both sort of the ways that clark starts to make very different choices than she's been making all season but also i think Mm -hmm. i don't know if it sort of seems like to me like She's starting to trust her heart again. You know, like she's been so in her head. You know, if we're just, if we're sort of going with that like head heart dichotomy or not dichotomy i guess i guess maybe we're sort of like it's starting to like challenge that dichotomy if there has been a head and heart dichotomy you know and clark has been increasingly in her head thinking with her head making sort of like cerebral abstract choices and bellamy has been more you know impulsive i think for clark in 412 and then going into 14 you can start we can start to see her trusting her heart again i think maybe she just didn't trust her heart yeah you know for a long time like trusting Mm -hmm. her heart meant like, she didn't trust making emotional choices. Yeah. And and so she got so detached from that that it started to be... It kind of went too far the other direction, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so now you, we start to see her, like, listening to her heart a little bit more. Sort of, like, letting herself, you know, follow those instincts a little bit more. So, like, I think reading the Abbey moment and the sort of Clark's arc in that way it makes me like the conversation she has with Bellamy and the rover a little bit more you know I think as a follow-up mm-hmm. that conversation as a follow-up to the the gun scene between them in 411 again it just felt like a little bit you know like that that sort of transition from one to the other still feels like there's something missing to me you know but I think if you yeah. think about it less as if we think about that scene less as a follow-up to the gun scene and just kind of like RIP follow-up on gun scene. You know, we can all just headcanon whatever we want. Um, (laughs) and think about it as more of a follow-up on, um, the Clark and Abby scene. You know, then Mm -hmm. I think it makes a little bit more sense because that's Clark, you know, like she is, she's confronting... The kind of, like, emotional cost of the choices that she made and the things that she did in 411 for, you know, for this, for Bellamy, who's, like, with her mother, one of the two most important people to her still alive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, and that's really a conversation about sort of, like, reckoning with the hurt she caused and, you know, both herself and him. You know, so if you think about, like, that as a moment of Clark is... Sort of, like, finally opening up, you know, sort of, like, acknowledging acknowledging that she has a heart, basically. Like, and Bellamy is sort of, like, he's lashing out at her on the premise that she doesn't feel anything. You know, he's kind of, like... Exactly. He's finally yeah. flipped over into, like, you know, what the fuck head first clerk you know this okay. accusation of like why are you here you know like why do you even care about raven you didn't care about her last week etc cetera, etc cetera. which is like such a terribly cruel thing for him to say you know and you yeah. can see her when she says like you know that's not true and you know it or whatever it was exactly you know you can see the guilt on like he instantly is like yes i know that was a low blow yeah but i think like it's a moment of like it's a moment of clarification both in terms of like her reminding him yes i do have a heart and i feel And I feel it and I felt it, you know, like I felt this, just these choices when I was making them, even though I didn't show it, you know, like I Mm -hmm. didn't mean to hurt you, but I know that I did. And that she feels like, so he can see that she feels the weight, you know, so he can see her heart. Right. And I think she can, you know, like, I think it's her kind of like admitting, like sort of acknowledging that that is an important weight that... Like, the, the, the reper, those repercussions of her choice are as real and as important as the kind of, like, big picture, you know, like, abstract how many humans and which humans are we saving picture. Right, which is right. a kind of, like, a reorientation for her. So I think him, you know, him saying, like, well, well not shooting me, that was the right decision, that cute little moment. Which, like, I think, again, the first time watching it, I was, like, I was a little annoyed. I was, like, because I was just, like, she almost shot you, you know, for this, like, stupid decision. (laughs) Like, it seemed like a really, like, he forgave her really easily. You know, so when I was still annoyed with that, I was annoyed with how easily he forgave her. When I came back to this to the episode a little bit less, you know, annoyed, when I was less angry about it. So there's maybe a little bit of projecting going on, you know. This this happens when you watch TV. (laughs) When I came back to it, I think, you know, like, it's less about him sort of, like, just again like it's not it's it's like Abby's saying you are a good guy is not her being like therefore everything that you've done is retroactively good or okay right you know and it's not Bellamy saying like therefore you pointing a gun at me is okay I think it's more him saying like I understand I hear where you're coming where you came from he's like acknowledging that like he understands and empathy he understands her point of view he empathizes with it and like her not shooting him, that was a heart decision, you know? Like that was not her mm-hmm. head. Her head was telling her you have to stop him at right. all costs. Her heart decided, but I can't I can't pay the cost of killing Bellamy. You know, and I think if you read mm-hmm. it as Bellamy not saying like, Hey, no big, like like it's cool that you pointed a gun at me, if you hear that as him saying like You followed your heart in that moment and that was the right decision, you know, and, and and like his version of like, you are a good guy still, you know, like, I think it's really important. in Yeah, like what she needed, she needed that two part healing. She needed her mother to say, you know, Mm. you're still a good guy. I love you, even though we were on opposite sides last week. And she needed Bellamy to say, like, I still see you. I still think you're a good guy. I still see, you know, the goodness in your heart for her Mm -hmm. to really believe you know to kind of like turn that corner so I think that that was an important conversation for that kind of like thematically and in terms of Clark's sort of arc moving back towards the heart side yeah and I think that it I think that it really helps in the context
1: of the finale that like when when those moments sort of landed on me in a negative way it was because I was reading them as being like focus on everything that had happened before and in the context of now feeling like they're focused on pointing Clark forward in a new direction I'm with you I think that they work extremely well as sort of a setup for like these are like the things Clark needs to hear and the sort of emotional kind of rifts that need to be resolved in order for her to become her best self yeah. and and kind of move forward into this sort of new version of who she is that then we see in this very sort of extreme level you know who um you know after the time jump of 6 years who it has turned her into you know like living this new life with this sort of very different set of circumstances after this incredibly long you know length of time but like I think the fact that she seems just in that little snippet that we saw of somebody who is very like kind of centered and like emotionally connected to somebody you know, like not like not like alone and desperate but like you know like a mom basically yeah yeah calm pretty happy you know like still connected to Bellamy still connected obviously to her mom and everybody in the bunker from like Mentioning that, like, they had tried to, like... Like, she hasn't given up hope.
0: Yeah. She's holding on to those heart connections rather than sort of exactly. trying to close herself... She's, like... She's... She spent so long trying to shut off the pain, you know, and not feel the pain that she kind of lost track of her heart. And I think like this is her moving towards like understanding those connections as being sustaining while also painful, you know, like she misses them, but she still loves them and she misses them because she loves them and that love, I mean, this is maybe just like, you know, simply her finally, finally moving out of the penumbra of love is weakness and finally remembering that love is strength, you know? Yeah, and I think that we
1: really needed, like, in order for us not to feel like it is devastatingly bleak that six years pass with Clark not being with these people that she loves. Those relationships needed to be sort of, like, wrapped up emotionally in a way where Bellamy and Abby know, and all of Clark's friends know, like, everyone on the rocket knows, how deeply Clark cares for them. Yeah, they needed to see her sort of being this best version of herself. And we needed to see that. Um, and Clark needed those reminders. And like in Raven too, you yeah. know, like, like really recentering, like Clark and Raven's partnership was one of the real kind of standout things about this finale to me was like that relationship has been really shortchanged since the beginning of the season where we got all that great, like sort of Brave and Lark leadership. Yes. The return of
0: lark in the finale, I was just like so oh my
1: god. happy. Oh my god. <sighs> uh, and it's also like like not to be not to be extra, but like it's like it's never felt so canon possible. Right? It's never felt so possible. Listen, writers, like, if
0: you really wanna like be like radical, if you really wanna do something different on TV. End game, three-way, polyamorous triad, Raven, Bellamy, Clark. I'm telling you, you will change yes. the world and it will be amazing. Yes. And it makes perfect sense. It will be amazing. Sense. It's totally set yes. up. Everything is there. Just go with it. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you need help, we'll help you. Call me. Like, I've got all kinds of ideas. Totally. <laughs> like, the way to solve this, like, the stupid biphobic, like, Clark is bi, but if she's with a man, then it's like she's straight. Blah, blah, blah. Like, just have her with a man and a woman. Done. Exactly.
1: Yes. Have like, Bellamy and Raven are in space and they're like, missing Clark deeply and they have like, this connection with each other and maybe they like, you know, like fall into bed again together but there's a sort of like, this like, this, this deep grief and like, Clark being sort of like, at the center of it and then they come back down to the ground like, oh my gosh, she's still exactly. alive. Exactly. Instead of getting into a love triangle, let's just be like, hey Clark, we both love you.
0: <laughs> and then like, boom, instant. The correct answer to love triangles is always polyamorous triad. Always. 100% of the time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No question. <laughs>
0: yeah. And this one, it's like, it's all right there. It's so close. I do want to clarify just to make sure, just because it's never, it never can be said too much. Clark is bisexual, regardless of what, whom, with whom she's in a relationship or whether she's within or in a relationship at all. If she never has sex with anyone again for the rest of her life, she is bisexual. Done. The end. Bisexuality is an identity Not a marker for a relationship. Yes.
1: Clark has spent six years in, uh, as far as we know now, you know, in a romantic or sexual relationship with nobody, with her only human connection being this kid. And she's still exactly as bisexual as she was before. Exactly. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Bisexuality rant done. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Co-signed. I mean, all over the fandom, I think people have been speculating since very early in this season When Raven first, when it sort of first became textual, that was like, okay, we have five years. There's like five years that everyone has to be tucked in somewhere while like the radiation passes, which sort of, which led people immediately to begin speculating about like, okay, so time jump, you know? So so we've been talking for a long time about what a time jump would look like. And I think that because of like the Clark and Jaha parallels that have been building because of rumors that started spreading after the leak of the finale pages, the idea of Clark being alone on earth, Clark doing something self-sacrificial to get the others to space in a way that's a really neat little parallel with Jaha sacrificing himself to get the Ark to the ground at the end of season one, felt like okay so this this feels like increasingly likely to be sort of the culmination of where Clark's arc over this season has been going and and my big fear with that was the idea the idea of like the gap between the season two and like the the three-month time jump but like on steroids, like that mm-hmm, horrible, mm-hmm. dark, bleak picture of like, you know, half feral Clark eating panther <laughs> with the crazy red hair, alone and miserable and tormented by the grief of the things that she's done and feeling like there's no one that she can have an authentic connection with. Like the idea of, of five years of that, you know, felt so bleak and horrible, like what not Unfathomably cruel thing to do to Clark, yeah. you know, and so what I think was so beautiful about what the little time jump you know sort of snippet that we got revealed about that that actually makes you know that tracks so perfectly with you know with this Abby resolution that she got with this Bellamy resolution that she got with like recentering her back at the center of the delinquent squad in the way that the episode did is that it gives us a picture of of a Clark who has at this moment has found a sense of like harmony and balance and connectedness within herself, you know, and has had at least one person to sort of, you know, to share that with, to keep her connected, has still maintained this connection to Bellamy, has still maintained this hope that she'll see her mom again. And, and I think that without having those moments of closure and without the reminder that we got in these last couple episodes of how, how important she is to people like, as a person, not just Mm -hmm. as, like, Clark the leader, but, like, Clark the human being matters so deeply to so many of these people, Mm -hmm. and so many people matter so deeply to her that I think without those moments being really sort of, like, hardwired into this finale, then we would have gotten a really, like... then Then I would have felt really bleak and sad about the picture that I got of what her life must have been like in those intervening six years whereas now it's like like I'm really interested in it and I'm sure that there are going to be parts of it that are like big dark challenging moments but it doesn't feel bleak you know it feels like this Clark is happy you know like she's like she's very very different but like it isn't like when she first came back after season three when we saw her again and, and you were like oh my god like you are so fucked up
0: yeah. Yeah. And and so cut off, you know, like she wouldn't even mm-hmm. like she's been going to see Nyla, but like and trading there for regularly for a while, you know, it seems like as of the start of 301, but it's the first time they've ever spoken, you know, or I guess 302, but right. like the first time they've ever spoken, let alone sort of. So she was like so sort of closed off basically through like the first part of season three and then through much of this season. And so like, yeah, so it's just and, you know, so much of the hope is just like. Clark is letting herself love again. Yeah. Like, really, really, like, not just, not just, like, that she, you know, because she's always loved all along because she can't help herself, but she's really letting herself, you know, she's, like, really letting herself kind mm-hmm. of, like, feel those feelings and give them weight, you know, and, like, let them mm-hmm. be central. And I think we we'll see that, like, right away. In, so, in, in 412, I think is really interesting because, like, it pays off very quickly in terms of the choices that she makes, you know? So, like, she, she gives Amori her helmet. Partly because she thinks she can, but you know, like also very much mm-hmm. like there's no there's no strategic upside to that besides just like Amori not dying, you know, and the group mm-hmm. not splintering. Exactly. There's no. It's not even like when she gives herself the Nightblood earlier on when she's just like she can't bring herself to do this horrible thing to Amori, but like it's still sort of like all right, well, I will take one for the team kind of thing. This isn't even really like I'm taking it for the team. She's just like this is a sacrifice I'm willing to make because I'm in the best position to make the sacrifice. And she just, it's just about her like caring, you know? And I think, Mm -hmm. and like one really interesting thing about um, 412 that I think kind of like foreshadows or sets up the um, head heart, conversation that she and bellamy have in in the finale and then also sort of set up bellamy making that final choice you know mirroring clark in the season one finale closing the door you know on clark because he he knows it's the thing he has to do is when you know when they're on the road waiting for monty the debate that clark and bellamy have about what to do you know clark is saying clark is the one who's Mm -hmm. who's thinking really more with her heart there who's saying like we can't you know, like, Bellamy's saying, like, nightblood works, so we have to turn around, go back to Polis, you know, inoculate as many people as we can, cram everybody in there, and then we this is the best chance we have to save everyone. You know, so so they flip sides. Like, Bellamy is looking at big, big picture. Mm-hmm. He's looking at everyone. You know, he's talking about, like, what yeah. Clark's goal has been since the beginning, that big abstraction. You know, this is like logically sort of the best sort of decision. And Clark is like, but then Raven dies, you know, like, which sort of drives home, you know, that, that like she, she's thinking about her, like her heart is telling her, is thinking about Raven. Like she's thinking, can I bear to make that choice? Knowing what that means Mm -hmm. for this, my friend, for this person who means so much to me. And obviously, like, she gets sick, so it becomes, it becomes less immediately clear that going back is the right answer. You know, like, logistically, it maybe wouldn't be effective. And then also, she gets the idea for space, you know, so, so she's, she's still Clark Griffin. She comes up with a third way. But I think it was, like, really telling in that moment, like, that Clark is starting to make choices that are really more strongly informed by her heart. You know, and Bellamy is, is yeah. thinking, like, a little bit more. He's, he's the one who's kind of taking on the role of thinking more strategically, which is a, a kind of flip that I like. And
1: Clark telling him you have this big heart and you need to like learn how to lead with like like Clark sort of making it textual both for him. And then I think implicitly also for her that like being a being a balanced and healthy person, you know, who can like get through these complicated situations requires that you access both of them. And by by sort of us hearing her give that textually to Bellamy, we also are sort of understanding like that's a realization that she's come to about herself and for herself. Yeah, yeah. And then you yeah, yeah. see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like so implicitly, like she's telling Bellamy, you know, like, you've been led by your heart, you need to be led a little bit more by your head. You know, like she's the kind of like flip side, implicit side of that is that she's learned the other way around, you know, that she needs yeah. to listen to her heart as much as her head. Uh-huh. Exactly. And like Bellamy can't rely on her for the head stuff and she can't rely on Bellamy for the heart stuff, you know, which is kind of like the thing that they had been doing and where they both sort of, you know, go wrong when they're not with each other.
1: Yeah. What I, what just sort of popped into my head as we were talking was that like in hindsight, and I hadn't thought of this until just now, but I really love the mirror of Abby giving Clark what Clark doesn't know is goodbye advice because of this sort of feeling that Abby has that like, just in case I need to say this thing to you, Mm -hmm. you know, in case I never see you again, here's the last thing that I want to make sure that you hear from me. And the sort of mirror of the fact that that's really what Clark is doing with Bellamy. Yeah. You know, like like where the other person is like, why are you talking like this? We're going to see each other again in five minutes. Calm down. And it's like, (laughs) just a sort of like gut core sense of like, okay, but just in case... Here is like here is the thing that you know like if I have one thing that I that I want to say to you that I need you to hear in case we don't ever see each other again so that you will be okay so that I know that you're gonna be the person that you need to be it's this thing you yeah know? yeah I I do and then my <laughs> and my and my only beef with that is that that in some way it slightly reframes our understanding of how. Abby and Raven's brain thing works to make Abby sort of a wizard. (laughs) Because, like... Because Raven, like... Raven saw herself in space and had this spacewalk hallucination based on a combination of like subliminal information received by some part of her brain that she had not registered her science brain absorbing information and moving faster unconsciously than her conscious mind could based on a concrete thing that was in front of her. Right. Yeah. And Abby just sort of straight up saw the future. (laughs)
0: Just like I'm willing to let it go because I love this episode so much, but there is a part yeah, of yeah, yeah, So, are psychic visions a part of this universe that we're just like accepting right. our real thing now? Because that hasn't been to yeah. date an actual part of this show, but okay.
1: <laughs> and this is, I think, this is why, like, one of my, I and again, like I said before, like, I 100% understand and and I'm um, you know bummed but not angry about the lack of, of cabbie in the finale specifically the lack of any kind of resolution about what was happening with abby's brain except that we got this very reassuring sort of like drive by from bellamy that like don't worry she's fine you know um but i think but i think because the because abby's hallucination coming true ended up actually becoming one of the most significant things that happened in this episode it it does sort of it it does retroactively make you sort of go back and be like a thing that would be helpful (laughs) would have been any sense along the way between the moment that abby had that hallucination or or the episode in which abby had the hallucination and now where where somewhere in that lab was something was some piece of information that abby's brain could have digested and turned into that hallucination the way it was immediately explained why Raven had the hallucination that she had. Like she immediately figured out why it was um, like what her brain was trying to tell her. And so I think part of the reason that there's all kinds of like baby theory and all these other sort of things about Abby have kind of sprung <laughs> up. is like, we do, we still don't actually know. Like we never saw a brain skin. Like we still have actually no textual evidence, except we're kind of just assuming from the blanks being you know, like filling in the blanks ourselves. We're assuming that Abby's thing was the same as Raven's thing, even though it's never actually really been sort of stated. But it does... But, like, now that we know how the second hallucination manifested in truth, it's like, these are actually totally different kinds of hallucinations. (laughs) Well, mine... And and one was, like, a prophetic vision, and one was, like, the (laughs) alley code spotting something before Raven's conscious brain spotted it. So I guess Abby is a witch now, which is hot. But... (laughs)
0: I mean, I'm totally into it. Like, i have <laughs> Yeah. We're going to come back. We're going to come back in season five, and Abby is going to be, have become, like, the soothsayer of the bunker. Yeah. <laughs> like, sudden romance between Abby and Gaia as the, uh, like, mystics. Yes! <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think... See, so... The way that you the the like non the, the 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 Abby is not actually a witch. Way that you could <laughs> read that is that is just like, <laughs> but is way less fun, obviously, than Abby is a witch. Yeah. Is is just like purely psychological. So like Abby's Abby's hallucination is her brain taking all of the like radioactivity uh. evidence and uh and projecting forward like what would this mean for the person who is the most important to her which is clark so the the hallucination could be just like psychologically like this is given a situation in which the world is going to be irradiated this is abby's greatest fear mm-hmm. and she's and and also i think it was it was also in the context of clark hallucination clark telling her That like the solution wasn't going to work, you know, so I think maybe it was her brain telling you like things aren't adding up and it kind of came across that way. And then like the other part of it is that Clark believed that it was true. Clark bought into this idea that Raven's hallucination came true. So therefore Abby's, you know, so therefore they're not hallucinations, they're premonitions. And Abby's premonition was sort of like faded to also come true. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. arguably, that belief changed the way that she behaved. You know, yeah. so it might be like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. It is actually... literally a
1: self-fulfilling prophecy. Right, yeah.
0: exactly. You know, it's like Abby believing it made Clark believe it, which made Clark sort of do things that she might not otherwise have done because she had sort of internalized this idea that this fate was inevitable. Um, so she perhaps took risks she might not have other otherwise taken. So that would be, I think, the non-supernatural explanation for right. <laughs> it doesn't really explain why Clark believed that it was they don't really have a history of believing in premonitions, but you know, hey. New things that we know about the Griffin ladies, they're kinda superstitious. <laughs>
1: Well, and I, what I think is interesting about it is that, um, and this is why I do like, I do wonder if they ping back at all during the season five flashbacks to what's going on with Abby's brain. All all of that could be true and the storyline could unfold exactly as it unfolded if it was just a dream that she had, you know, yeah, because yeah. since we don't, because she was alone in the lab during the hallucination, she didn't interact with a another person who saw her like fall down and have a seizure or something like raven did like we had for raven's hallucination we had like concrete evidence that she was existing in a different plane from where clark and or from where abby and jackson were in that scene and then she had the seizure and then we knew okay this is what it is and because abby was alone except for hallucination clark like she literally could have just like been in bed and had a bad dream yeah so it does make me sort of wonder like Like, I I think this is why, you know, uh, a lot of, like, it, it has sort of, like, has fed some, like, what's really going on with Abby kind of conspiracy theories. Because, like, still there actually is nothing on screen to, like, objectively say this is the same kind of thing, except our assumptions that, like... It probably is because not another solution has not been presented, but yes. but it is interesting because like she could you know Abby could just have had a dream and then told the dream to Clark and every and and it changed Clark's behavior because of the assumption that it was the same kind of sort of see the future thing that Raven had and then yeah and they made this whole thing happen based on believing it had been foretold to happen, which is a whole interesting circular argument. I'm sure they're not going to actually get into. <laughs> but it is a it is it's sort of a fun little self-fulfilling prophecy brain teaser yeah, like yeah, what yeah. if this actually wasn't a prediction of the future until it became a prediction of the future right. because yeah. it shaped how Clark behaved
0: so to pick up from Clark and so in 412, like Clark and Bellamy are having like the sort of like they wind up having to make a choice between are they gonna go save Raven, this one person that they know who's important to them, or are they gonna go like try to sort of pull some kind of stunt to try to save as many yeah. people in general as possible? And it struck me watching uh rewatching 412 today that I think that is a way there's there's like sort of some ways that the road trip storyline sort of thematically connects to the Bunker storyline. And one of them has to do with this kind of like, I think 412 it delivers on the sort of impossible choice thing in a way that 411 doesn't, where where there are a sort of series of impossible choices. One of them is like Raven or or possibly everyone. Right, right. And then similarly in the Bunker, it's a similar thing where the choice becomes between do we doom everybody outside to die because we decided, mm-hmm. you know, because we we fucked everything up before. Or do we choose to doom, you know, a certain number of us to die? And that's one of the situations where, like, I'm firmly on the side of, I think, you know, that Octavia's decision saving 1,200 people, 100 from each clan, is definitely the best solution for a whole number of sort mm-hmm. of, like, where, where, like, the big picture reasons why that's the correct choice are big enough and important enough that they outweigh the personal cost of saying to 300 and was it 364 people Mm -hmm. to their faces like sorry you gotta die and kicking them out but that sort of like these particular people are people versus a sort of general principle kind of thing like that is that is there is there is no good choice there there's like it's a really painful sort of divide but I think you know and then the the other one to go all the way back to the Abby and Clark scene is I think it's interesting to me watching again and again like (laughs) I, I don't feel I have no I have no feelings about Jaha. I I don't have any particular, like, I was not particularly moved by his emotional journey. But, like, on a thematic level, I think, it, like, it did have a whole bunch of stuff that was interesting. One of the things was, I thought it was interesting that, um, in a similar way that, in Abby's case, kind of inadvertently wrought this, like, really deep, this, this sort of shift in Clark by, by reminding Clark of the best version of herself you know saying like deep down sort of like in your heart you are a good guy and enabling clark to sort of make this whole series of different choices i think you can see Mm -hmm. what kane does to turn jaha around is a version of the same thing where what he says to jaha is not necessarily a reflection of what jaha has done or who jaha has shown himself to be in this episode but rather he's presenting jaha with like here is another version of you that you could be. Right, exactly. Here is the good guy Jaha that you could choose to be in this moment. And like Kane sort of giving Jaha, giving that to him, saying to him, I think that you have the capability of being this guy is what makes Jaha capable of stopping and realizing. So I think in terms of like, there's a sort of thematic similarity there in terms of this kind of like underlying theme of what's really important in driving people's decisions including their moral decisions, that comes down to who they believe they could be. Yes. And, and there's a certain kind of hope to that you know there's a sense in which like emphasizing the way that giving someone and it's almost like a second chance you know I think a lot of this this yeah. these last couple episodes are really a lot of ways about second chances or the way it becomes possible to make different choices when you let go of the things the choices that you've made in the past like if you're thinking always thinking backwards like who right. have I been who, who have I been what are the choices that I have made what do they make me now when you release that it becomes possible right. rather than thinking when you're confronted like oh god this is the thing I always do I'm gonna do it again you're more free to kind of make a different sort of choice there's something sort of deeply there I think and that I really like in the way that sort of in Clark and Jaha we get these moments of Cain and Abby being able to reach out and say to them here is a possibility of who you could be or Mm -hmm. who you might be deep down and that makes it possible for them to make these other choices I think I think I have some some reservations about Jaha. Like, I don't think it's the, entirely the same with the two of them. Yeah, because like the appeal, like sort of broadly, the appeal is the same. Here's who you could be, but in terms of like what being the good guy means for each of them, it's very different. Abby's just sort of like, I believe you're a good guy deep down, and Clark's like, I have a beautiful heart, you know, and then she starts like following <laughs> her heart, and that's not really what happens with Jaha. Kane's just like, right. Here's a different way you could be a hero, and Jaha's like, Okay, I'll be that hero. Um, It's like really still not about like you know it's not it's not at all the same thing. Still, sort of about like Jaha's self. Well, it's about self. They're both about self perception, but I think like Jaha is a little bit more narcissistically self perception rather than Clark's sort of like getting in touch with her feeling self perception. And and I think like we might come back to that with four thirteen because I think you know you can see a little bit of the same thing happening with Raven. You know, like Raven has loss of faith in herself. Like she doesn't believe. She believes that the amazing things that she's been doing for the last, like, season and a half or so are because of Allie, you know, and so she has to have Clark and Bellamy there to kind of remind her, like, no, this is who you are deep down. You have always been this person. They have to sort of give back to her this kind of, like, here's who you are to enable her to believe in that version of herself, and that makes it possible for her to solve that problem. So there's a kind of, like, Mm -hmm. there's a kind of way where that theme works through, but... You know, Jaha, I think, is a really interesting example because it's almost the opposite way it goes because what Cain has to do is reframe it from, like, Jaha's thinking, I'm going to save my people, you know, and I'm going to be a her- hero to my people. And Cain has to reframe it as, like, but look, you could you could be this hero. You could be this hero to all of humanity by saving 1,200 people.
1: Well, I I guess I saw something a little Different, I guess, happening in that Kane and Jaha scene, which is it felt to me like the, um, and, and, and maybe it's because like, I think there was a lot, there was a lot of sort of things going on in it. But what I sort of landed on in that exchange between the two of them was that Kane's primary concern is that any sign of resistance from Sky Crew will get all of Sky Crew killed. You know, like that Octavia and the Grounders, you know, like you. if you don't have a list of a hundred names for us, when we come back at midnight, all of you die. And Kane knowing that, like, you know, knowing Octavia, knowing Indra, respecting the rules of the deal that Octavia made, even though he doesn't like it, like that sense of urgency comes from the fact that Jaha, by sort of fomenting this sense of rebellion, has put them in a position where it's, it's not, to me, it didn't read as, as. Is Cain asking Jaha to choose between saving only seeing all of Sky Crew but only all of Skycrew versus saving 1,200 people it was like Jaha getting his sort of ego out of the way enough to realize that his choices were save a hundred of our people or have all of our people killed because you couldn't let go of the thing that you wanted to do. So it felt to me like where it ties into like the point you're making about Raven, like what ties the Raven moment and the Abby Clark moment and the Raven sort of loss of self-doubt and that Kane and Jaha scene together which I think is really really kind of lovely is Is that for all those relationships, for Abby and Clark, for Raven with Clark and Bellamy, and for Kane and Jaha, in some way, the push that those characters get that shifts their decision making is a reminder of who they were in season one. Raven needs to remember that before Allie ever came along, you know, she was the person who saved everyone's asses over and over and over again. And Abby has to remind Clark that before she went to the ground and everything sort of fell to shit, she was this person who, like, deeply believed in the goodness of people and deeply, like, and was always trying to do, like, the right thing and the good thing, not the expedient thing, like, not having to sort of make these, like, really complicated morally messy calculations but like the way that she believed in her dad the way that she like you know like who she was before all this shit happened was a was a had a a sort of I guess a pure sense of goodness you know before it became complicated by these things you just had to choose and for Cain and Jaha I think it's a reminder that like it really echoes back a lot of the conversations that they had in season one you know like when Jaha wants to go down to section 17 and Cain is trying to explain to him you're the leader like you have a thing that our people need like you're the leader for a reason and like yes we all have to make these hard choices like they don't call off the culling they just do it in a more ethical way You know, and so in this situation, it's like they don't, there isn't a magical way to spare everybody, but it's doing it in the like, you know, I mean, you can argue about the ethics because they remove people's consent, but they also use the more calculated list, you know? So what Kane is doing is reminding Jaha that like, instead of being egotistically impulsive and either sending himself to section 17 to dodge the consequences of his bad choice, or starting a fight because he doesn't want to have to deal with the consequences of this choice that like there's another way that is you know it's not a magical solution but it's a less I guess less violent or or less, like, it's a different choice that Jaha isn't considering that he needs to be sort of, like, pushed out of that ego-driven mindset to be able to consider it, and Kane reminding him of the leader that he used to be when, like, he was a chancellor and people respected him, and, like, before all of this shit went down. So I think that there is sort of a, like, you know, in the in the many, many season one kind of callbacks and homages in this episode, which is something I really loved about it, um, I think those, those three moments of, like, Abby has to remind Clark, who at her core clark is clark and bellamy remind raven of who she is kane reminds jaha of who he is in this way that's sort of like before all of this shit happened who were you in this sort of simpler purer version do you want like you could be that person again you know and so i do think that is kind of like a through line between all of those moments
0: i have a hard time (laughs) emotionally empathizing with jaha in that episode because like ultimately i you know his motives i just don't they just don't seem that altruistic to me but yeah but so so he is so fixated on i guess a more generous way of thinking about that is that he is so sort of monomaniacally convinced that his solution is the only solution that he will do anything and he can he can convince himself that anything in pursuit of that solution is right. And so I think there's an interesting way in which 412 really, as an episode that is sort of working through issues of leadership, and especially as they kind of like, you know, have been building up over the seasons and this season, there's a way in which what we kind of seem to land on is that the danger, the deepest danger in a leader is certainty. You know, is this kind of like, Deep-seated belief that there is one right answer and that you have it and that it must be pursued at all costs. And that sort of somewhat unexpectedly, the thing that makes a really good leader is doubt. Octavia is full of doubt. Throughout 412, you know, like one of the really powerful things about watching her in that episode is that, you know, she goes into that chamber and she makes these calls, you know, she says like you have until midnight or I'll kill all of you. And she's very commanding, you know, like she's really like she sort of performs this authority very well. But the instant she walks away you know, that certainty falls. It becomes clear that that sort of like authority and that certainty is a mask and that she's full of doubts and misgivings, You know and that she's constantly second guessing herself. She's always, you know, she's not sure that the decision that she made is the right decision. You know, she's thinking through the costs of it. She's not convinced that that she has the ability to single-handedly know what's right. Like she deeply does not believe that she does. And, and I think so on the one hand... Octavia, who is sort of emerging as a good leader, who is characterized by this deep, deep doubt and, you know, and misgivings and, and second guessing. And then you have Jaha, who almost leads everyone into just like annihilation of the human race on the basis of the certainty. And then the, of course, the other thing that goes along with that is that certainty, that sort of belief that you and you alone have the right answer is profoundly isolating. You know, Jaha is making this decision all by himself, in secret, deliberately, versus Octavia, who's always with Indra, who who gets from Indra that beautiful line, you know, she's like, I didn't do this. My, like, I had help, you know, I didn't win that by myself. These people helped me. And Indra says, like, no leader does this alone, you know, which is a beautiful kind of, like, reversal of so much of the stuff, or sort of culmination of the issues that we've seen throughout the season of leaders who are alone, you know, struggle, and this kind of confirmation from Indra, you know, to say like, this is always, maybe it doesn't look like it when you go up on that, you know, stage and you deliver your proclamation, it might look like it's just you, but it's never just you. So that contrast I thought was really, really like fascinating and beautifully done and in kind of an unexpected way. And I think, you know, in like smaller ways you can see, like Kane is certainly a leader who is, who is riven with doubts, you know, who is never, never sure that what he's decided is... You know, he, he, will, he will make choices that he thinks are the best in the moment, but never in a way where he thinks that his is exclusively the right call. You know what I mean? Um, and he's always sort of like in dialogue with other people. And Abby, same thing. You know, Abby in this episode is, is obviously like sort of undone by self-doubt. You know, and and Clark is sort of having second guesses about, uh, you know, when she's in the rover in the conversation with Bellamy, we see her sort of, you know, she's, she's not certain of herself, you know, like nothing is okay. She's like sort of, and speaking that uncertainty and that regret is what it connects her back to Bellamy. And then after that, we see her and Bellamy sort of like as leaders making decisions together again. So I really liked how sort of we got Jaha on the one side is like secure and knowing like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Just like sort of pursuing this path that leads to destruction. Um, and on the other hand, you know, Octavia just sort of constantly going like, am I right? Am I right? Oh my God, I don't know. Like... The decision I make is going to like, I'm making, I'm playing with people's lives and I'm full of fear and doubt, you know, and that ultimately being, I think the thing that like, the thing that keeps her as an ethical leader, that she's always remembering, you know, she's always thinking, okay, did I make the right choice? Did I make it for the right reasons? You know, like turning to the people around her for support.
1: Well, and I think what I'm really excited about is like sort of the juxtaposition of that, that little taste that we've gotten of... Who is Octavia Blake in, like, sole command of the human race and what kind of leader she is, juxtaposed with Indra saying, you know, the time of the commanders is over, the time of the flame is over. And sort of that setting us up for, like, I'm enthralled by the picture of, like, what kind of political and leadership structure, you know, like, after the dust settles and everyone kind of adjusts Mm -hmm. to their new normal, like – how do these people decide to govern themselves? You know, like, how do these 1,200 people establish a social structure and establish a government? Does it look sort of finally for the first time much more like democracy? You know, does it look like something that is, like, like is Octavia sort of being presented to us as the first person of either Grounder or Sky Group culture whose leadership is not sort of top-down, authoritative, dictatorial, which both the Exodus Charter and Grounder Civilization very much had one unilateral leader who everything in their social hierarchy sort of propped up this notion that you have, you know, like, like they the Ark had a council and the grounders had clan ambassadors, but you have a commander and a chancellor who are, you know, who outrank them and have sort of unilateral decision-making when that's the thing that's needed. And so I, so I'm really interested in the idea of like, I think because of, you know, that doubt that Octavia has, because of this sort of message that we've gotten really all the way through the show. But I think particularly in a lot of moments in seasons three and four of the leaders who we who we see as good leaders who we see as the the kind of people who should be leaders of people are always the ones who are looking for compromise who are looking for peace who are looking for ways to kind of break out of those new ways and so I think what's interesting about Octavia being this person it's not so much that she has this ability because she is both yeah. Sky Crew and Grounder. It's really because she's neither Sky Crew nor Grounder. Like it isn't it isn't that she's fusing two cultures of which she is equally a part. It's that she has no sentimental or historical or cultural or personal attachment to the way things used to get done in either of those cultures. Like, she sees the flaws in both of those systems. Yeah,
0: because she was an outsider, even on the Ark, because she was the girl under the floor, because she was disenfranchised, because she was outside of that society Mm -hmm. looking in, because she was the victim of Jaha and that society. Like, that's what makes it possible for her to have an entirely new perspective on it mm-hmm. because she's never been a part of like truly organically a part of either society yeah yeah she was I, she's
1: been she's been an outsider in sky crew you know was an outsider among the grounders you know like wanted to belong but obviously like couldn't couldn't make herself a part of a culture which was not her culture but was inside it enough to i think, understand key elements of it and and to understand why some of the ways in which their kind of ruling structure was set up were very problematic and also i think that she sees which which i think mirror how she sees jaha you know like how she sees mm-hmm. kind of like the hierarchy of you know of our society and so i really feel like i'm just i'm really interested in I think there's a lot of potential for really fascinating stories to be explored over the course of of these six years of flashbacks that we hopefully get of watching this, you know, initially very fractured society kind of come together and how Octavia being a person who sort of like doesn't really give any fucks particularly about, you know, either from Sky Crew or from Tree Crew about like, well, the way we used to do things is this. Well, though, you know, our tradition is this, well, the way, you know, we're used to having a leader who makes decisions for us, you know, in this particular exact way, based on this exact set of rules. And now all that's wiped away. You know, there's no more Exodus charter. There's no more flame, you know, like all of the ways of those decisions used to be sort of forced on to the subjects of that population it's all now gone and so she's sort of feeling her kind of terror at like having to like build a new societal infrastructure from scratch when she is 16 it's a <laughs> lot to ask of somebody you know like even even with indra's support <laughs> but i also feel like you know in in some ways i think it's it's interesting to sort of consider like is there an element of her being in some ways the only person who could do it because she's the only person who isn't of and deeply inside of one or the other of these cultures. You know, no one no one else is really as unattached, yeah. culturally unattached as Octavia is. And yeah. so I'm, so I mean, yes, I'm really, I'm really interested in just kind of in a very sort of nerdy way, like what does, what's, what governmental structure does Octavia inevitably decide on, you know? And is it sort of like, (laughs) is it potentially like more representative and more kind of giving the people some kind of a voice because all of her experiences with like authoritarian hierarchy have been as a person getting fucked (laughs) over by that system, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, basically, yeah. I was really happy about that, that Indor gave the line of, like, the time of the commanders is over. You know, that, that, that made me, because I, I, you know, all along we've sort of been saying, like, this season four has to be basically the story of how everything is scrapped and starts over. You know, yeah. and not just, like, the earth, but, like, societal structures, governmental structures, everything like that, you know. So nightbloods are gone, the flame is gone, everything's erased. Like, this is, this is how we start over. And so I was glad that, they, that we got that textual moment. And I think <laughs> I was initially a little bit um, miffed that we got that moment, and then immediately Indra was like, "Here, have Lexis Bindi in her cape." Yeah, I was like, "Wait, I, w- I thought the the time of the commanders was over. So why is she like? Right. Why are we doing her up like the commander?" This is, um yeah. And so I think <laughs> so. Subsequently, I feel okay about it in this case for this reason. So, so in an interview that came out with Jason after the uh, finale ended where he said, you know, he did mention like the time of the commanders or like when we come back, Octavia's going to have a new look. There's going to be like a whole new, like she's got a whole new thing. So I do think that will be the last that we see of that. Mm -hmm. And from like an in-world perspective, you know, if we're just thinking about, if we're thinking about like why that would happen within the world of the show, rather than like the show as being something produced in the real world. Right. It does make sense in terms of, for something like, for, for a system, you know, sort of quasi-monarchical system like commanders, those kinds of iconography are very important, you know? So insofar mm-hmm. as that was a moment that was about political symbolism, like Indra saying, like, you have to go out there mm-hmm. and say, I'm in charge, here's what's going to happen, because if you don't, it's going to be chaos. Right. Insofar as that was a moment that like that required Octavia to go out there and perform the role of the leader of these people, it makes sense that for the 1100 of those people who are grounders, her sort of coming out in the sort of iconic sartorial signals of leadership, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the cape and the bindi it does make sense, you know, like, this is, like, this is about performance. Right. It's, like, one of those things where it's, like, Queen Elizabeth riding out in front of the troops wearing armor, you know, like, and she gave a very, Queen Elizabeth gave this extremely famous speech. It's still, it's, like, you can find it in, Mm -hmm. you know, the Norton Anthology of British Literature. It's still in there. It's very famous. But, like, the thing, you know, that speech was, like, What was important about that act of Elizabeth as queen was her sartorial performance, her choice of dress and self-presentation were as important and as integral to that moment and to that speech as the words that she delivered. Right. And so I think if we were thinking about like Octavia in those kind of like, you know, Elizabethan queenship moments, you know, as a kind of like the queen is dead, long live the queen sort of moment. Or, like, the commander's two bodies. There's the mortal body of the person who's currently commander and then the eternal body of the commander or whatever, however you want to think about it. I'm just, like, quoting (laughs) early modern (laughs) British political theory surrounding monarchy. But anyway, so if you think about it in that way, like, it does make sense that Octavia would want to or would need to sort of, like, don the, the commander outfit in order to walk out, in order to sort of, like, Give her performance that weight. Mm. So, insofar as that's what was happening in that moment, and on the belief that when we come back next season, all that stuff is going to be gone and will have been replaced with something new, I'm okay with that at the last minute. And then, like, this is not to say that I'm like okay with the Bindi, I still think the Bindi, but like, it's one of those things where it's like they made the commitment to the Bindi being a commander thing two years ago. This is the final hangover of a choice that they made a couple years ago that that, for all kinds of reasons, I wish they would have made a different choice. But if this is the last moment of it, I do understand why that moment existed within the world.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I think I, I hear what you're saying. And my only counterpoint is I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that the, the Bindi in the context of the real world in which there are like, Important conversations to be had about whether it in and of itself, just like as a wardrobe choice, is sort of culturally appropriative is sort of one piece of this in the world of mm-hmm. the story this is yeah. this is my counterpoint to what you just said is. If she had the Bindi and she had the Chancellor pin, I'd feel totally differently. But she doesn't. She goes ah, out there wearing point. only... So like Indra says to her, the time of the Commanders is over. You know what would have, this?
0: She have just. this? She should have just jammed the Chancellor's pin into her forehead. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. He fixes everything. Um, like bleeding from the eyes. Very badass. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like... Um, but like I, you know, I think where where it lost me a little was like indra is saying to her the time of the commanders is over and then literally gives her the missing piece of her costume to fully transform a hundred (laughs) percent into the exact picture of what a commander is and looks like except for the flame and so that so i feel like if she had had like the symbol that i wanted the way to sort of show us that this is like, this is the third way, right? This is, in, we're in a new paradigm is Octavia with like right. Kane's chancellor pin pinned to Lex's red leadership stole thing, showing us like now we're in a whole new world. Now we really are one crew where these symbols themselves are inherently merged. And because they didn't do that, because instead it was like the sort of ceremonial moment of Indra saying, we are one crew, like this is a new thing, you're in charge, the the old ways are past. Here is the symbol of the old ways to put on when you go give this sort of (laughs) performative leadership moment. Right, right, right. Felt to me like that made me feel like for a second we were getting full on all the way doubling down on Commander Octavia, even though narratively we had just been told that that wasn't a thing. So I guess, so I think I would have felt a little differently yeah. about the sort of like kind of cultural appropriation about the Bindi, the question of the the conversations that we've been having all season about white savior Octavia, stepping fully into the role of the commander mm. is full of problems. I think, I, I literally feel like all... All of my concerns about that could have been resolved by no Bindi and adding the Chancellor pin. And th- <laughs> and then it feels like... I think that's a very good point. That is a very good so point. So that's my yeah. only kind of caveat to that is that I do feel like giving her every single last little piece of the commander outfit, which the commanders have worn through like however many past commanders there have been, having her mirror that exactly while Indra is saying there are no more commanders, I was struggling a little bit with... Am I supposed to feel like Octavia is the commander or not? Like that felt gray.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're totally right. It is it is kind of like a whiplash moment of like, no more commanders, put on your commander stuff. It's like that right, like, right. Like, yeah. sort of yeah. yeah, yeah. They really should have just like gotten Rowan's crown. She could have been worn <laughs> around her neck as like a, a necklace, because I'm pretty sure her head is a lot smaller than even Roan's. <laughs> Or she should have just gone out there and like with all of those things, you know, and like taken them and just like thrown them away and been like, "We are one crew." Yeah. <laughs> like ceremonially, like jettison all of the the symbols, but yeah, whatever. Anyway, like I I I agree with you. I think my initial reaction was like, "Wait, what?" Right. Like a uh, but but. <laughs> um, and I and I agree with you that I, I would have preferred to. Have her just go out there with none of that at all. You know, it's kind of like time of the commanders is over and then just let Octavia go out there. Like, I don't know, like have her put on her war paint, you know? like Yeah,
1: her, yeah. Something different, yeah.
0: Her Lincoln paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It would have been better overall if it hadn't been there at all. But like, I just, I managed to talk myself into being okay with it being there on that basis and also like I said I felt very different after I read the interview with Jason saying oh yeah no it's gonna be totally different you know she's gonna have her own thing yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like okay fine yeah like if that's the last we see of it like whatever yes. I can sort of I can deal with that and I feel the same way too. if that turns out not to be true then we'll have another talk yeah yeah, yeah
1: but I do yeah. I feel the same way too I, and I think that's part of why I felt like th- that I in a in a perfect world wish that that we had not gotten it was because i it does really feel like from everything that jason was saying that it will that it really will in season five a hundred percent no longer be this same system you know in in which it sort of feels like okay so then so then we didn't for for the you know for the complications around the bindi we really truly it seems like didn't need it at all because that whole structure is going away yeah
0: yeah so, so that's just right. that's a, that's a sort of its own. So it's just kind of like bringing back something.
1: Like it's just borrowing it's trouble. Like I feel like. like we didn't even need to. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. no, that but I sense. do
1: feel. But I but I'm with you. I think I'm. I think the fact that we now of the you know of the sort of handful of little nuggets of information that we have about what's going to be happening in season five, knowing that. Octavia is sort of like, you know, like her, her look is going to be completely different. The political and social structure is going to be completely different. The idea of, you know, what it means to be in charge, what those people are called, how that infrastructure kind of operates will all be totally different. Like, like macro, I'm not worried about it. It just sort of felt like Mm -hmm. it was one of the few real sort of false notes in an episode, which I felt like had almost no other false notes in it. And maybe that's why it kind of landed so strongly. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I I totally agree with you. Like, if I had my druthers, it wouldn't, there would have been none of that at all. Yeah. She just would have, like, conversation over and then she would have walked out there. Exactly. Yeah. Although, you know, I did notice, did it look like to the gears behind Bellamy when he was sitting in Becca's office talking to Octavia looked... They look like the gear, the Bindi gear. Yeah, I thought of that
1: too. I, I have, I, I know you've dragged me from my interior decor obsession before, but I have so many thoughts about the like design <laughs> aesthetic of Becca's office and all of the different... Ways that it either like sort of overtly or subtextually kind of has played into the plot, and I I had that same yeah that same thought of like there are and they actually and they use Cadogan's office in a similar way too where like there are moments where somebody is standing in front of yeah. that glowing second dawn triangle where I think that it's very clear from what's happening in the scene that the framing of those shots is not accidental. Every time Jaha says something dictatorial with Bill Cadigan's light up triangle behind him, it just sort of subtly reinforces, (laughs) you know, that like crazy pantsness of whatever it is that he's saying. And I think I think that in Becca's office, I think Abby talking to Marcus over the radio with like the big kind of like brain art behind her, that empty red wire skeleton yeah. statue that then becomes later what Raven models the jumpsuit on in a way that sort of echoes what we talked about, like red equals alley, all that kind of symbolism. So there's just like
2: mm-hmm. there.
1: There's just so there's so there's so much interior decor like like we could do a whole podcast on just like <laughs> the stuff in Becca's office and how Claire feels about it. <laughs>
0: We should just try to get the prop master on. I know. So I really, just, like, like I want to, like,
1: I have so many, <laughs> so many, like, insanely nerdy questions for, like, people on the production design team. Like, I'd love to talk to Tree Adams. I'd love to talk to the sound guys. Like, I'd yeah. love to, just, like, I, just because the, like. And the costume people. And the costume people. Yeah. Like, I just have so many. So, I okay, guess, so, if any of them are listening, we know we know Peter Lago listens. So, like, hi, Peter. Um. So, if anyone from the production team wants to come talk hi, on Metastation, like, we would absolutely <laughs> love to, like nerd out with you. But um but I think that I think that's one of those moments where like the camera framing those gears behind Bellamy as he's talking to Octavia as they're both sort of like not just saying their goodbyes but also like what we needed to get in that moment. You know, Bellamy needed to hear Octavia say that she loved him. You know, and like having her say like "I love you, Big Brother." Like that little sort of recentering of who they are to each other. But she also needed him to sort of yeah. assert to her what she overheard him saying to Rowan, which is for him to tell her that he has faith in her ability to do this. You know, like that he understands that it's hard, but also yes. that he believes in her. And so, I think that that little, so that that sort of little subtle visual tie-in, I think does, I think does work. Like, I think that was a nice little you know sort of very subtle little yeah
0: call yeah yeah that's a good point they're having this conversation about you know like she's not sure she can be the leader she needs to be and he's like yes you can and then like yeah i hadn't thought about that mm-hmm. but that does kind of sort of tie together the the setting in which he's saying those things and then the things that happen with indra mm-hmm. afterwards but i was just thinking like oh becca yeah <laughs> <laughs> to pick up where we were just now, I suppose we could start with the Blake siblings. Yes. Which mostly just involves me being like, I'm so happy that they are back on good terms again. I am. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, I got so emotional when Octavia said, I love you, big brother. I was just like. <gasps> no, I was too. <laughs> I've needed that. We
1: needed that. And I and I do feel like, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but I really feel like the, even just the teeny tiny little snippet you know, that we got of them talking, you know, in the in the finale and sort of knowing part of that is what gives her the strength to kind of go out and do what she needs to do and sort of be the leader that she, that we watch her then become. I think, you know, one of the things that we've said before on the podcast is that we felt like Octavia's arc and particularly her arc over like specific to her relationship with Bellamy has been very confusing in terms of which direction it's headed really since the middle of season three but it has landed at a place Mm -hmm. they have closed out this season in a way that i do feel really good about it
2: Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. it doesn't
1: negate the fact that a lot of the i think the steps that i think it took to get to this place were were in the moment in this season in which they occurred we're still kind of like i don't know why we needed that or i'm not sure why that was going or that feels like sort of a fake left double back right that we maybe didn't Didn't need, but I think ultimately, now that we've landed where we've landed, looking back at all the people who said, "Oh my God, Octavia's arc is the best arc." Like Octavia has the best storyline this season. If there's one character whose role this season I could play, it would be Octavia. That we kind of kept hearing over and over again. Now I feel like it makes it. I think they really, really stuck the landing, and I think it's because Mm -hmm. they brought it back through what happened in the last three episodes of this season. Or four, I guess it was 10, 11, 12, and 13. Making it about bringing the Blakes back together in a way where now that what we know from the way it ended is that they're separated by, you know, she's underground and he is in space for six and change years. And plus however long it takes after the season starts back up again for them to find each other. So we really needed the same way that I think we needed with Clark and Abby. We really needed to leave them in a place where we believe they're not separating, holding on to anger or baggage or resentment or or sort of tied to this darkness and negativity and violence and anger. And hurt that has really characterized their relationship over the past, like, season and a half. Like, I think we needed to Mm -hmm. feel that being concretely let go in order for us to know, like, she's going to be okay without him for six years. Because the last thing that she said to him was that she loves him. You know, and he's gonna be okay without Mm -hmm. her for six years because the last thing that he said to her is, I totally believe that you can do this. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and that they like that they got their closure, the relationship has been recentered, like really starting back with the conclave and the arc that took over that, but then also, you know, him coming to rescue her, her saying, like, Bellamy gets a spot in the bunker, like no fucking argument. Sort the rest of it all out yourselves, but like you know, like I am making space for my like my brother's gonna live. God damn it! Do what you're gonna do, Thelonious. You know, <laughs> and and so so I like you know if we were if we were only gonna get one teeny tiny little snippet of you know of the bunker storyline, I think I think because we we did get a moment like that that served that purpose earlier between Clark and Abby, I think it it just felt really right that we began with the Blakes, you know, and and that that is the context through Mm -hmm. which we see them watching on the screen as Polis Burns, you know, is that Bellamy has just like watching Bellamy lose contact in the middle of that conversation with Octavia, knowing exactly why going downstairs and seeing the fires sweeping over and knocking down the tower, you know, like that, like the the emotion of that being centered around the Blakes knowing like, okay, this is it. And I don't really know when or if I'm ever going to see you again. I think was the right place to start out the kind of emotional journey that then we see Bellamy going on.
0: Yeah, and I just—I I mean, I'm with you in that. You know, I my my like joy in the place that the Blakes have landed is kind of predicated on needing to let go of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. from from the second half of last season and from the season. You know, like I, I'm sort of I'm sort of again at a point where I'm just like. I'm happy with where it is right now and where it's going. So I'm willing to kind of like let go of the loose threads and dangling stuff from before. And I genuinely don't think going back to Octavia beating up Bellamy after Lincoln died last season. I just genuinely don't think that that scene was meant to come across the way that it did to anyone. You know, like I think, you know, I sort of accept the fact that the show is just kind of like we're not, that's not a thing that we're going to deal with, you know? <laughs> and right. I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to, I would, I would rather, I would rather think of that as non-canon too. So, yeah. sure. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so, um. so, so yeah, so, so it is very much, you know, again, I, it's, it doesn't necessarily fix all of the like issues with, Octavia's sort of middle of the middle season writing that we talked about in the Octavia podcast, but like you said, I think the last four episodes have been just like so solid. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Dial Di Marily was such a fantastic episode in terms of like reestablishing Octavia. You know, sort of shedding that old stuff and establishing a new Octavia, and like kind of putting her on new footing with everyone. You know, and and clarifying finally like where she is, what her motivations are. You know, like what drives her. You know. Even as those, even as she herself is figuring out those things, like even just having it textual that she's sort of being thrust into this position and is unsure of herself, I think is, you know, a lot more sort of like direction and clarity than, (laughs) than we had for a while. And I just love the Blake Sleeblings so much, you know, like I just, it just means so much to me personally for them to say, to have that moment, you know, for Octavia to say, to tell her brother that she loves him. I mean, I think. You know, like, sometimes you have relationships that are so important to you, and they just go wrong, you know, and they get fucked up. And sometimes there's no way to put all of that stuff right, you know, like, some way, sometimes, I don't know, I think in stuff like that, like, and and this is a very personal thing, and this is not, like, a universal thing, and it very much has to be, like, you have to make this choice for yourself in the moment, depending on what you need. But I think, like, in family relationships like this, in certain cases, like, justice doesn't apply, you know, like... Is it, like, just that, you know, Octavia was so cruel to her brother for so long and she's never been held directly responsible for that? Well, maybe not. But that's not really what's important, you know. What's important to her and to him is to reestablish this relationship, to remember what they mean to each other, how much they mean to each other, to remember the strength that they draw from each other, you know, the strength that Bellamy draws from from her and the strength that Octavia draws from Bellamy. I mean, I think... Like Adam said to Octavia at the beginning of season one, you know, when I can't remember somebody, I can't remember who says it to her, but like maybe Monty says something like, it's amazing. You're not, a, you know, you're alone for, you're under the floor for so long. It's amazing. You're not a basket case. And Adam says it's because you were loved, you know, it's because your brother loved Mm -hmm. you, you know? And I think that kind of like, this kind of brings us back to to go back to sort of like these very subtle season one callbacks. I think in a way that this is a kind of callback to that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, through all of the struggle and pain through all of their sort of, their codependency and and all of the, the the many different various permutations of their you know dysfunctional relationship from from Bellamy's overprotectiveness and his controllingness um, you know that drove him to do some messed up things for Octavia in season one to Octavia sort of her her disproportionate and and messed up response to uh, the loss of Lincoln and and Bellamy's and the way that she blamed Bellamy in season three and four. Um, you know, like at the core of it, everything that Octavia is is because her brother loved mm-hmm. her, you know, and because she loved him, and because of what they meant to each other, and because of the support that she got from him. And so I was just like, it would really, it like, it meant a lot, of, a lot to me that it this, you know, at this kind of like crucial moment when she's about to step up and sort of like take on leadership, that that she has this, she sort of like touches base back with that with Bellamy, yeah. you know, like the person that she really you know, clearly needs to talk to, that she needs to, that she can be open with, that she can fully express her self-doubt to who she can whom she can turn to for reassurance, you know, whose reassurance that she really, really believes it's Bellamy. Yeah. You know, it's her her big brother. And so like that just makes me like I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> um Well and I and I also, I mean, the thing the
1: thing that I was thinking about was I I I think looking at sort of the Blake scene in the context of also what the with a Clark and Abby scene accomplished, I think is really important is like, it really matters a lot when you think that you're, like when you think that you might lose somebody or when you know that you're going to lose somebody, holding on to the negative parts of the past ceases at a certain point to make emotional sense. Yeah, yeah. Like So the fact that those are like goodbye moments with this incredibly high level of uncertainty really sort of strips you down to your core. And it becomes really important that, I mean, like, if Octavia and Bellamy, like, if this really was the end, like, if they never saw each other again, they'd never be able to forgive themselves. That the last conversation that they have was an argument. You know, like if this had never been resolved between them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the same with Clark and Abby. Like if the last thing that Abby had said to Clark before she left and they never saw each other again or even, you know, or for six years was reproaching her for like leaving Kane behind or following Jaha, making the wrong choice, she'd never have been able to forgive herself. You know, like. Yeah. I know objectively, like the last thing that I said to my mother before she died was that I loved her. That is, like, that's incredibly important.
0: It husband's the same way with his dad. And they had a really, really complicated mm-hmm. relationship, like, really difficult. And they were, you know, kind of semi-estranged for a lot of his last years. And I remember, you know, he said to me many, many times, you know, and especially, like, right after he died. But even after that, he's like, it's he like, the last thing I said to him was, I love you. I mean, like, I know, at least I know that. Mm-hmm. At least I have that. Yeah. Like, he said he loved me and I said he loved, I loved him. You know, even though they weren't on good terms, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's, it means... It meant so much to him. It means so much to him to just know yeah. that those were the last words they said exactly. to each other, and like no matter what else happened, they loved each other, you know, deep down. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's so important in that when in that moment of loss, like you know, everything else is just bullshit. Exactly you know, at that point. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so I do feel like it is. You know, there is it true that there are elements of Bellamy and Octavia's relationship that we have never satisfactorily watched get resolved that's absolutely true and the and the magnitude of the time jump yeah. means it's incredibly unlikely that we're ever going to circle back to those things right for people for whom that is an unsatisfactory resolution and feel like things got fast forwarded through that they, that they felt in a visceral level, like, no, I need to sort of watch this being dealt with. Like, I totally get that as a response to this. Like, I totally understand, you know, if, if you, you know, like if, you know, if that's stuff where you're like, nope, I can't get past this until they talk it out. Like, I understand that. I think for me, for me, I felt like knowing that this is a context of these two people who are facing like the extremely high possibility that they, that they either never could see each other again or that the absolute best case scenario is a separation of five years, which is so immeasurably longer than they've ever been apart before in their lives that, you know, yeah. that it yeah. is like it's a fundamentally like world shifting rewriting of their dynamic, you know, between the two of them that is like unimaginable to them in this moment right now. Like, what it would be like for them to be apart for five years. Yeah.
0: So I feel like in that context... And as many times as Octavia has left, Octavia has always been the one to voluntarily leave. And I, and I feel like, you know, it makes sense to me for her that subconsciously maybe, you know, I don't believe she ever thought that, like, if she wanted to get back to Bellamy, she couldn't do it. Exactly. And then so, and now she can't. Like, this is the mm-hmm. first time. If she wants Bellamy, if she needs Bellamy sometime in the next five years, she cannot get to him. Yes. And that's that's really never been true. And so I think like the weight of that too, mm-hmm. of just sort of like, there's always the assumption like, well, if I felt like it, I could I could talk to this person tomorrow. Exactly. Or I could get back to yeah. them soon. Yeah. You know, like psychologically, that's huge. And mm-hmm. when you lose that, mm-hmm. that changes everything. Yes. You know, so I think that's also in play for both yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, yes. Yeah, so that was very, very deeply touching. And I, I appreciate having that moment. <laughs> I was a little like the one thing that sort of pulled me out of it. Was I, I did, I appreciated that Bellamy went to the, the Greek mythology reference <laughs> as a nice little kind Here of callback to,
1: you know, season <laughs>
0: one <laughs> talking about like, you know, like their mom read mm-hmm. them mythology and told them stories. And so this is like, this is, this is like a Blake sibling thing. Uh-huh. You know, this is how they bond, you know, so, so of course Bellamy's going to like pull out the Greek myth reference for, for Octavia to make her feel better. I'm not. hundred kind of percent, get how Prometheus? How Octavia is Prometheus? Like that? I'm like I I was like, uh huh. What? Like I'm not. I don't really. I don't. It, yeah. <laughs> like okay. So what flame did she steal? for humans how like i mean i guess i get that she sort of saved them from this giant she saved them from a from a flame from prime fire but I don't really get like from like who are the gods from whom she stole the flame and what is the flame? And, well, like, and
1: and she rejected the flame, it? like like the the flame that that is called the flame. You know, sh- like Indra has you know <laughs> is telling her like the time of the flame is over. So like like if she had taken the flame and put it into her head. Like, Clark's Prometheus, right? Like, Clark, in her fake ascension, you know, yeah. is is yeah. unlawfully yeah. taking a flame that belongs to other people in order to give herself power. And yet, and then, like, is stopped from going through with it. But I, I feel like the lines with, with Octavia are very different.
0: Yeah. Like, that, yeah. It, it just didn't quite, a- and I guess it was because, like, you know, Prometheus saved saved the human race and then was punished for it you know like so the idea is like Octavia saving them and then she's like yeah well I'm gonna get my liver pecked out by eagles so on like a super in specific level it worked but I was just kinda like huh But, uh, (laughs) but I was thinking like, you know, I was, and then I was, I had this moment of like, wait, did I have this right? So I went back and I like looked at, you know, I looked, I reread my Prometheus myths to try to make sure like, am I remembering Prometheus right? That this doesn't, that I'm, this doesn't fit for me. And, but I was reminded from that, that um, Pandora is actually a part of the Prometheus myth, which I had forgotten that in the Hesiod version of the Prometheus, well, and there's like, there's like a bunch of Prometheus myths. So, you know, whatever. But in the in the Hesiod version, people, first humans had fire and then Prometheus helped them trick Zeus into accepting the like poor sacrifice and Zeus got pissed so he took away fire from humans as punishment. And then Prometheus, so that's when Prometheus steals the fire to give it back to humans. And then Zeus is pissed at Prometheus for stealing the fire. And so he punishes Prometheus by chaining him to the rock, but he punishes humans by sending Pandora, who is the first woman, which is like such a Greek thing that the punishment <laughs> for stealing from the gods is His like, ladies. Ha, you get women. It's like, fucking Greeks. They're so, <laughs> so misogynist. Love the Greeks, except for the whole part where they're like so fucking misogynist. Um, <laughs> so, so he sends the first woman who was made by Hephaestus. And then, of course, there's the whole, you know, Pandora myth where she comes, she has the jar full of evils, and she gets tricked into opening the jar, and all of the evils of humanity, like all the, all the the things that kill humans, are released. But she manages to slam the lid back down and save hope. So, I don't know. So, I mean, like, Pandora isn't a perfect analogy for Octavia either, but I feel like Pandora maybe is a little bit better... Pandora part kind of fits a little bit more in that she, like... There's all these evils sort of out there, and and Octavia has managed to slam a lid back onto things in time to save, to save to hope. To save hope. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I don't know. Anyway, nitpick. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I will make a pitch for... Um, this is just me being... This is, like, an aside of me being, like, the world's biggest nerd. If you're looking... If you're in the market... Any writers who might be listening to this right now, if you're in the market for a classical reference of some kind for season five, I would like to recommend one of Virgil's lesser known works, which is his second major poem, which is called The Georgics. And this is the, this is, I have a, I have a tattoo with the Georgics <laughs> on my back. This is how into the Georgics I am. But the great thing about Georgics, which in Greek translates to um, working the earth, Georgics are a poem sort of ostensibly about farming, but really what it is, is so Virgil wrote the Georgics right after the end of the Roman Civil War. And what they really are is a poem about rebuilding society and relearning how to sort of like survive after the cataclysm of war. So it's really like a post-war poem. Mm -hmm. And it's a poem like, it's it's ostensibly a poem that's about teaching you how to farm. So like there's there's four books, and it's basically like, so you got some land. Okay, here's how you here's how you make that land grow stuff. And the second book is about trees. Here's how you sort of raise trees. The third book is about animal husbandry. So it's about animals, but mostly it's about like sex. It's about the way that love and destruction are intertwined with each other um love is always like a force that's pushing people to to create but then also it can destroy them and then the fourth book was about bees and also about building government basically but so it's like it's this poem that has like it's built around these sort of interlocking images of farming and war where there's like all these military metaphors for war and there's all these like awesome moments like there's one moment at the end of book one where there's a farmer who's sort of you know he's like plowing his field and he keeps turning up the bones of giants who died in in past wars which I just think Mm. is like it's such a fucking badass image yeah and it's also like I think kind of you know it's sort of fits with season five, right? these people returning in the wake of these horrible wars, trying to figure out how to survive on this earth. Like they're recreating everything. They have to remember how to grow food. And they also, the other thing that they have to do in order to survive is to stave off the kind of, like, constant threat of self-destruction through war that is always sort of threatening to interrupt the struggle to survive. And and Georgics is also, like, a poem that's really about, like, everything in that poem, every living thing is struggling to live. And so, like, human beings are in constant conflict with animals, not because animals are bad, but just because, like, everybody wants to eat, you know? Like, that mouse wants your grain because it's got to eat, too, you know? So there's, like, a really deep sort of, like, identification and understanding with all, with the struggle that is living, so... Oh, and, like, I think the other interesting thing, to go back to 412 for a second, about hope in Pandora is, like, hope was in, hope was in Pandora's jars as one of the evils that she saved, which, you know, seems, like, uh, sort of counterintuitive, but I think, like, I think, interestingly, we get an instance of that in 412 where, like, the problem is that Jaha gave Sky Crew hope, Mm. and so they're clinging to the hope that they all get to survive, and, like, that's the thing that drives that tragedy. Um, So, so I think there's, yeah. you know, there's almost like this very sort of very dark, dark parable in 412 about about the danger of hope. Yeah. You know, like hope is something that can save you, but it's also something that can be really tragic and dark. So we kind of get like the dark side of hope yeah, maybe yeah, in yeah. 412, and then we get the like the the light side of hope in 413. Mm-hmm.
1: That's interesting, yeah, because I I I feel like the you know like the use of the word hope is something that like textually crops up a lot in the relationship between abby and kane so i think the idea of the lines between hope and hopelessness and the sort of and the flip of like you said hope being something that like is now sort of causing problems um plus the whole sort of visual metaphor of hope being a thing that is like trapped inside while like the, all of the sort of evil rages overhead like it does like it does feel like that's sort of like a very nice tidy little metaphor of like then when the door opens and they all kind of come back out into the world the sort of idea of like hope being the last thing like the concept or whatever is the person that like represents hope you know like coming out of the bunker like what does that look like and who is that and what is that thing and
0: yeah yeah i do
1: wonder like even in canon how seriously we're meant to take the prometheus thing because octavia immediately is like oh that's dumb
0: Yeah, I mean I think I think maybe like it's po- it's entirely possible that like we're all over reading it. it's supposed to be like Dorky Big Brother is like, hey, mythology reference and you know Octavia's like Bellamy. Not everything can be a good mythology reference. <laughs> nice
1: try. If nothing else, what I do like is which which again, this may be like comically overreaching, but you know, it's just how it sort of ties into the sort of macro story for Bellamy in this episode I like if nothing else that it sort of reminds us at the top of the episode that like before he was anything else, Bellamy was a giant nerd like before he was like, <laughs> yeah before he was like yes. a great big warrior guy before he was like an action hero sliding yeah. through tunnels in that weather like being chased by balls of fire or whatever <laughs> you know he was a kid who lived in this sort of interior world of books and stories with no other company but his mom and his sister, that he was always a thinker. Like he always was a person who, like, his mind Mm -hmm. and his imagination and his brain and his love of books and his love of learning and his thoughtfulness were, like, core to his personality and the thing that, like, Octavia sort of reminding him of who he was. So, like, it's, like, it's a cute, like, sort of sibling-y moment, you know, and and I do think that, like, you know, like, and, and maybe we're sort of meant to take it on this kind of allegorical level about, like, the story of Prometheus being sort of plot relevant in some way, but also in some ways, I think, maybe even more importantly, although it's very oblique, I think it's actually a very nice little kind of lead in to the conversation about reminding him how smart he is like reminding him that he needs to use his brain you know and yeah and that sort of yeah so I, I like I like it sort of on that level of just a sort of reminder that like at his core Bellamy isn't being a fighter or even being like a sort of like military or political kind of you know, leader was not who he was first. Like he was, he was a thinker before he was any of those other things. And he needs to sort of be reminded of that as like, then Clark says, like, you need to be able to sort of integrate in the head and the heart. So I like, I like it sort of on that level too.
0: Yeah. Well, I also think that it's significant that, you know, that callback to mythology is also in a very subtle way, a reminder of their mother, you know, like, because before, Bellamy told Octavia those stories like he learned them from their mom so so like that that conversation ends it gets cut off and then Clark comes in you know to talk to her mom and I think you know you could sort of you know maybe a little bit of the background of Bellamy's sort of like deep and instant empathy for Clark in that moment is also informed by the fact that he was just talking to his sister and thinking about their mom, you know? Yeah. And and with Octavia saying, you know, like, back under the floor, like, it's really sort of taking them back to where they started, you know, as two kids who lost their mom, you know? And Octavia brought up their mom being floated last, last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As two kids who lost their mom, you know, who only have each other left, you know, I think there's... the 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 sort of reminders of origins of family you know of those of of those like you know the mother mother relationship i think there's also a kind of like subtle linkage there too to to the fact that this is going to be immediately followed by clark realizing that she doesn't get to say goodbye to her mom yeah you know so like Aurora Blake is also very much I think in the background of that scene as well as as well as Abby you know who's sort of there in in the forefront but yeah it's very sort of bittersweet
1: yeah and I do you know I I think and I was just thinking of this just as you know as you were just talking but like the you know i've thought about this a lot all season in the context of of how many mentions and how or like direct and indirect we've gotten all season long about jake and i actually think that in a lot of ways like aurora yeah. has also been really present you know in yeah. in ways that are both sort of like directly like textual you know like bellamy and kane talking about it you know like uh, octavia confronting jaha you know all of the sort of the sort of recentering of Octavia kind of reclaiming her girl under the floorboards sort of self but uh yeah but i but it it does like i think i think not not in the same way just because in a lot of ways Jake's story became sort of immediately very plot relevant but like in terms of like a sort of a reminder that we haven't really gotten in a lot of past seasons of how deeply these people are shaped by these sort of formative losses in the memory of who these people were, I think it's actually been really nice to sort of, you know, one of the sort of very subtle kind of threads of season one callbacks that we've gotten has been remembering that Jake and Aurora were very, very important people to these core characters and that the past are still sort of present with them, which I think is really nice.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that, you know, it's, it's like, there's a kind of a neat thing that I think sort of emerging here that I really like that I think like in the last couple of episodes we sort of see well like I mean it's like a little bit of a sort of like variation on what you were pointing out in terms of Everybody, you know, of like Clark and Jaha and Raven being reminded sort of who they are or who they you know, like they're sort of their sort of basic core self from season one, you know, like Clark being reminded of her heart and of being that that sort of like piece of her that's always looking for the best solution in the right way. Um and trusting her heart. And Raven, you know, sort of trusting that she's always been, you know, had this, you know, she's always been smart. She didn't need Allie. And I think, like, you can see another version of that with Octavia, where Octavia has spent two or three seasons trying to reinvent herself, you know, like, she sort of rejected, she didn't want to be the girl under the floor, she didn't want to be, like, she wanted to get away from that, you know, she wanted, she identified with Grounders because she was rejecting, you know, that, that former identity, and there's something, like, I think there's a similar thing happening where she has found this, like, new and better self And she's found this, you know, she sort of earned this new leadership position by embracing that she's the girl under the floorboard. Yeah. Like, she won the conclave Mm -hmm. because she embraced that she is still that girl. Yeah, like, in addition to all the other things, she's still that girl. All the facets of herself, yeah. Exactly. And, like, and, and also, and along with that, I think, like, and I was thinking about this in terms of like thinking about Jake and, and Aurora and and the way that these characters have been shaped by loss, you know, like Bellamy and Octavia who are who they are. Like they go to the ground in season one, both of them, you know, because they lost their mother and Clark goes to the ground because she lost her father, you know, and there's sort of the ways that they've that like losses shape them. But I think also you can kind of see for Clark and for Octavia and I think. You know, maybe for Bellamy, but certainly for Clark and Octavia, you know, there you can also see two characters who are finding strength in embracing their vulnerability in a way that they haven't done in a really long time. And I really like that too. You know, like, like Octavia is finding strength in... In her self-doubt, in her need to turn to other people, in in her love and her openness, mm-hmm. you know, like in all the things that she was pushing away and rejecting, like that's where she's finding her strength. And same with Clark, you know, she finds her strength again in, in opening her heart and letting herself vulner- be vulnerable to that kind of like that sort of powerful connection, but also to that loss, you know, and I, and I just like there's something like really, really wonderful in that kind of like, in that sort of that theme. You know. Yeah,
1: well, I think it I think that there's been I think that for a lot of characters this season, there's been a sort of moving them towards a more holistic view of who they are that sort of incorporates all of the iterations of their past selves for the first time. You know, sort of like really truly like facing the truth of who yeah. you are with some humility and honesty and and clarity that trying on a bunch of different personalities or trying to become a different person because you're running from a past version of yourself that you didn't like, or that you didn't want to be. Kane's also, I think that a really strong example of this, this season two, you know, particularly in that black rain episode where like Kane, the like Kane, the bearded earth dad, who just wants peace and to love everybody having to really confront for the first time, really since season two, the fact that like the choices that he made on the arc still affect how people see him, you know, and still are part of who he is. But also yeah. that the flip side of that is that, the person that he was on the arc is the only thing that gives him the sort of moral credibility to have the conversation that he has with Abby about what she's going to do about the choice to take a life. And then it sort of comes back around full circle at the end with him being the only person who can get through to Jaha. It's because season one, Kane is still in there and he's kind of found a way to merge all of those selves into like a much more complicated, but I think ultimately sort of more honest sense of self and i think that we've seen octavia and clark going on kind of that same journey where like the attempts to sort of reinvent yourself because there's something in the past version of who you are that you can't deal with facing you know clark running away from arcadia because she just can't bear to look at her people because it just reminds her of the choices that she made that you know like that got them where she was because she can't stop thinking about matt weather and for Octavia, you know, sort of rejecting Sky Crew and trying to like feeling really restless and imprisoned by you know being part of Sky Crew again and wanting to sort of become this other version of herself that is also not really who she is. I think we've mm-hmm. seen them both, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen and you know other characters too, sort of going through this arc of like becoming a, a stronger and more powerful and more honest version of yourself by no longer, I guess, sort of being afraid of all those different chapters of your past and letting them sort of be like, this is who I am. You know, I think that Octavia and the Conclave is, you know, is the most sort of the story is really structured around her realization of that. Like Selena put it so beautifully, you know, when we had her on the podcast talking about how like every, you know, like every one of those deaths, like Octavia taking the clan token is sort of representative of all these people kind of coming in and out of her life that she like takes something from all those human connections, you know, like every sort of phase of that. And it yeah, starts yeah, with, yeah. Indra and Bellamy and Cain but it also goes through to like Roan and Luna and Illy and all those people and so then the person that she emerges at the end is like a version of Octavia where like all those human connections, all those different people that she's been are sort of one new person and she doesn't know what that is yet. But I think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting way of showing, you know, with both her and with Clark, what the sort of, you know, six years later, adult version of them looks like that has that kind of self awareness that comes from no longer running from the pieces of your past that you maybe don't want to face, you know, so I really like that as like, I like the message of that.
0: Yeah, 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 me too. Me too.